What's up everybody, this is Elliot Terrell and you're listening to Magical Thinking brought to you by artofmagic.com. Our guest for this episode is Jordan Gold. Jordan's a great friend of mine, we hang out pretty often, and he fools me every time we're together. And I mean fools me bad. And sometimes it's something that I've seen him do maybe 8, 10, 30 different times, it fools me every single time. He's great, he has a background in music and bartending, we talk a lot about uh, bartending and, and how cocktail culture is similar to magic culture, and we get into a lot of cool, interesting, tangential things. Jordan has uh, strong opinions and a lot of interesting experiences, so there are a lot of funny stories in this episode as well. It is a long one. We were both a little tipsy and drinking during the podcast, which was appropriate, I felt, for Jordan, because he is one of the foremost cocktail connoisseurs in Los Angeles, especially within the magic community. So it's a little it's a little weird, and we, we get a little off track sometimes, but I really thoroughly enjoyed it, and I think you guys will too. Some of the weird pauses also, Jordan has a very expressive face, so throughout the podcast I might just start laughing, and it's because we're friends and I know where he's going, or he makes a face, or something like that. Uh, but, you know, it's like it's like you're sitting there with two buds that are just hanging out and, and talking to each other. It's super fun. I loved it. I think you guys are going to love it too. If you don't already know, Jordan has released some effects with us. He's got an awesome coin vanish, which he references in the episode called Pirate. He's also uh, done tutorials on the linking matches and the great rubber band escape. And I'm sure we're going to have more magic from him in the future because he's awesome. So if you guys want 20% off of any of Jordan's offerings on artofmagic.com, use the coupon code MTPGOLD at checkout. MTPGOLD. All one word, all caps. And you'll get 20% off of Jordan's material. If you haven't already, follow us on all the social media channels, Instagram and Facebook.com slash A Sense of Mystery, Instagram.com slash Treasury of Wonder. Like this podcast on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Magical Thinking Podcast. And of course, you can email me at podcast at artofmagic.com. I love hearing from you guys. I got a bunch of great emails after uh, the last couple of episodes, and I really appreciate it. So, get into Jordan's episode. It's a long one, but I know you're going to love it. Take care. Let me know what you think. Enjoy. Anyways, so you should come away. Sit there. Have you been to Dirty Laundry? No. Then we're going to go to Dirty Laundry. Ah, oh, fuck. Okay. It's literally within walking distance. <laughs> Pretty sure. Okay. This is the microphone. Cool. Please don't bump the table, which you're about to do. Okay. Okay. Oh, man. I prepared minutes before you got here by writing things down into a notepad. I prepared minutes after getting here. <laughs> by pouring sake into by slightly Asian that I am now cups. here. Okay. We, is this on? Yeah. We start, okay, we've started. We recorded before I opened the door. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> this is great. I'll take out the stuff that needs to be taken out, but otherwise we're going to keep all that in. Excellent. Now I have to take out that part, (laughs) and now people that are listening aren't going to know what I'm laughing at. (laughs) Perfect. (laughs) Great. Let me just... uh, Arrange yourself. Make some noise here. What is that even for? You're not going to be fiddling with those during this, are you? 
Any order? No. Okay. You don't mind if I shuffle the whole time, do you? I do. You <laughs> People complain it's, about it's it. Very, they email me in and they say, "Don't do that anymore." It's very soothing. <laughs> is this how this is gonna go? <laughs> Preface to the listeners, I had a strong cocktail and no dinner before this. Jordan went to a friend's house and had some wine. Now we're both drinking what is not cooking sherry, it's sake. Much like the sake, uh, we are now both unfiltered for this podcast. So I'm going to talk into my sake glass for this uh, for the, the whole thing. <laughs> Okay. Pretty much I went and worked out and then came here. So, you know, it's good to work out before you drink. It gets the blood flowing. Yeah. Riveting. So how are you? It's good to see you. It's good to see you too. It's been a minute. It's been a hot minute. Yeah, one hot minute. It's not even been 24 hours since we saw each other last time. It's been too long. Yeah. Could you speak up? You're yes. Right. There we go. Hello. Let's fill the space. Fantastic. Let's go into performance mode for this. Magician voice. Hello. Hello. I'm going to show you a card trick. Have you ever seen Cockery Magic? I have. Oh. Yeah. You have. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, never mind. Just my own. It's pretty. It's pretty fun. Yeah. I'm really, I feel like I'm on the bleeding edge of conquering magic. It doesn't seem like a fun edge to be on when you're talking about a conquering. All right, maybe that's not quite the right uh, example. This is going to be great. People are going to love this episode. I'm on the leading edge. The leading edge. (laughs) (laughs) This is already a shit show. We're not even five minutes into it. What are you talking about? This is the best episode yet. I hope so. Yeah. This feels wrong. <laughs> I brought a bunch of sound equipment, so okay. I hope you don't mind if I set it up. No, please. Okay. We'll spend the next 40 minutes. <laughs> this is just going to be all inside jokes about the, the previous the po- 21 the, episodes. The previous podcast. If you haven't listened to the previous 21 episodes of the podcast, then... You're missing out. Cause then listen to all those, then I, listen, I listen to, to the I listen to all um, 47 hours, and I've got uh, material. <laughs> Prepared for days. <laughs> okay. So I was trying to figure out how to do um, rubber band magic. We don't have to talk about that right on, now on the radio, but uh, it's got a couple ideas. Oh, rubber band magic on the radio! Yeah. I thought you were going to go into cockring magic. Radio cockering magic is even more difficult. I'm just going to pour you some uh, some more sake here. Okay, thanks. Delicately not pouring it on the microphone. Thank you. <laughs> just on the just on the cords. <laughs> <laughs> Did I pour it? On? I didn't cord pour it on the cords. It's fine. Did I really? It's, it's just sake. fine. Sake comes out. It's a clear spirit. Okay, so since we're drinking. Give me your uh, beverage background, because I, I, ha- I have little bits and pieces, mm-hmm. and not really the whole story. My beverage background. Always been really into beverages. Um, it started in college. 
dating as it does as it does (laughs) as it indeed does I was dating a girl who lived in New York and where'd you go to college I went to college in Indiana University in Indiana University in Indiana IU capital I capital N great school Indiana Uh, yeah as it turns out um, they have a fantastic music program which is what sort of drew me there. I was flying around auditioning at all these different music schools. Um, playing or singing? Or playing. I'm a violin. Violin. You're a violinist. I'm a violinist. That's another thing I didn't know about you. You didn't Look know that, that about I yes. did not know that. Classically trained since okay. I was eight years old. Wow. Um, my mom gave me the, the option when I was eight of choosing between violin lessons and a camping tent. And, you know, it's pretty obvious which choice I wanted to take. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I chose the camping tent, and um, she told me that, that that wasn't really an option. No, um, <laughs> went with the violin lessons. Um, she actually brought home a violin because she my step back a minute. My older brother is a French horn player. Really? Yeah. Is he good? He's very good. Well, we'll see. Very good. We'll see. I'm a French horn player too. So we'll are see. we really? No, yeah. you're not. no, I swear to God. Are you really? I swear to God. Oh, this is the best podcast. This ever. is already the greatest. I, I didn't know that about you. That's yeah. Awesome. yeah, 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 yeah. I okay. played for uh, nearly a decade and was one of the best in the state. One of the most uh, well-known French horn players today, mm-hmm. who is a tenured professor of French horn at Indiana University, mm-hmm. is also a magician. Really? Yes. What a small world. It's it's a long story. We're going to get to that. Okay. Right? We're, we're working our way there. Okay. <laughs> so, my brother was in youth orchestra. My okay. mom was... She's very crafty, right? So, she was making a window display for, you know, the youth orchestra. So, you weren't kidding when you said, I picked the tent, and she said, that's not a choice. No, that was a joke. That was a joke. But, she, no, brought, I know, but she brought home a violin. Yeah. And I was upset that there was no bow. I couldn't play with it. It was just a prop violin for this thing she was putting together. And um, that's kind of how she knew that, oh, okay, he's into violin. I'll get him some lessons. And uh, fell in love with it. That was my growing up. There was music and magic together were the two things that I did. Yeah. It's like you couldn't pick a more isolated, nerdy thing to do than be an orchestra and be into magic. You were the nerd of the nerds. I was the ultimate nerd kid just like in orchestra, you know. Except for the fact that... I played the French horn and was a magician, so I mean... Well, there you go. The French horn's pretty... You know, later in life, at least you figure out that like girls are kind of in the violin. You know, the strings in yeah. general. Like you got the bass, the cello. Yeah. And, skip over real. And then violin and then guitar. <laughs> yeah. Like, like the ladies... They get it. Ladies it's, are it's, into it's, the yeah, strings, yeah, yeah. right? Yeah. It's sexy. Yes. But French horn, it's like... <laughs> as somebody who loves French horn and grew up with it and like uh, all the repertoire and the instruments and all that and I actually did play a little dabble dabble a little bit uh, it's it's not the sexiest no, it's not. instrument to other people sure right? to it's a, a smaller group of people it's yeah. very well, sexy well you know what's funny is that like every great film score has wicked oh, French horn they get parts. the best parts they yeah, have the Star best Wars, parts they, it's basically anything just, John Williams does is French horn based you just wait until the moment and yeah. that's it's one of the hardest things about playing French horn is you sit there and then you have to come in and you have and to come deliver, in with a solo, yeah. Deliver on this thing. It's just you, yeah. And uh, you know, as a string player, you can kind of uh, fiddle around. Uh, not to no pun intended, but the you, you can you're you're one of hundreds, thousands of string players. Right? You yeah. can sit in the orchestra in the middle of the second violins and 
make sure your bow's going rem- sort of the right direction and no one really cares what you do but yeah you mess up on the grand scale as a, as a French hornist. You know, you miss, if you miss a hundred notes as a violin player, nobody's ever going to know. You've got 40 other violin players. Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going nobody's, to n- nobody's know you've ever missed a note. If you miss yeah. one single note as a French horn player. Huh? Yeah, and there are six other ones and you're all playing. Yeah. No. There's uh, my, my brother who wrote many um, terrible music jokes, but one of them was uh, how many French horn players does it take to a light bulb? One, but it'll take ten bulbs because it'll crack the first nine. It's a music <laughs> joke. That's and amazing, musicians. and it resonates with yeah. me as much as a high F chord does. Yeah. All right, but yeah, French horn has a very strange relationship in my life. It's sort of weaved throughout even today. I mean, you're a French horn player. So yeah. All right. It's uh, there we go. There we go. We learned some new things. Look at that. Yeah. It's like buddies learning about each other. Yeah. I know. Go ahead. What's your next question? So anyway, you were talking about <laughs> you were talking about uh, starting a violin and yeah. So I did that for a while, and um, the saving grace of all of it was you know I was very nerdy, but I actually was pretty good at magic and violin. So luckily, you know, I, I was concertmaster after a couple years of being an orchestra, and and so I would I wouldn't call it like admiration or respect, but you know at least I kind of was. I was a big fish in a small pond. Yeah, that way. And I was in in the little podunk town of Mill Valley, California. I was the best violinist at my school for a year, and that yeah. was cool. You know, but um, it it led me on this very interesting path of, of going out in the Midwest to Indiana University. Yeah. When did you um, start dating the New York girl? Uh, how did that happen? You know, it's college. You meet a bunch of people. It just it was a thing. Oh, so you so. met a college. Okay, whatever. Go ahead. So, yeah. Indiana. So, uh, I found my way to Indiana, which is the... Of all the campuses I've been on and colleges I've visited, it is the most quintessential collegiate campus, like movie college that you've ever been to. It's unbelievable. In the middle... Of, in Bloomington is sort of an oasis, right? You've got... Uh, it's one of the, just culturally, I can list off statistics about it, but culturally you have this really rich um, environment of of different people, right? And it's in the middle of Indiana, which, you know, the next town over is Martinsville, which is like the center for the KKK. So you've got this like crazy... Uh, Juxtaposition setup. of cultures. Yeah, yeah. you know, uh, it was the kind of thing like... Yeah, I met people in my psychology, not psychology, a theater class, I took a theater class, and my theater partner had never met a Jewish person before. And I'm like, oh, yeah, well, you're my horns and my tail, obviously. <laughs> uh, she's like, oh, you're Jewish, how novel. I'm like, uh, okay, I'm from California, like, you know. Yeah, everyone's not Jewish, Jewish. Jewish. <laughs> LA, So, um, it, as far as, dr- back to drinks, since we're drinking. We're um, talking about violin. <laughs> violin, drinks, all those things. No, go ahead. I'm just um, kidding. Yeah, for for the summer, um, the girlfriend at the time went back to New York and and had this great idea that she was going to take a uh, go to bartending school. And I thought, oh, that's kind of fun. Maybe I'll also go to bartending school in California, and we'll do this thing like sort of together on coast to coast. Yeah. And so my uh, my older brother, French horn player, uh, his name is David. Uh, is this also a mid-century modern furniture, David? No, that's Julian. Julian. That's there's Julian. three brothers. Okay. There's, there's three bro- That's too many. Let's I'm just... one. There's three children. <laughs> oh, okay. Two brothers. All right. uh, there's David, the oldest. Julian, the middle. I'm the youngest. Um, and David is a... Uh, 
professional graphic designer, uh, former professional poker player, and semi-professional musician. He plays for, uh, you know, uh, he goes up to Lucas Ranch every couple months and records for some random thing, which is super cool. Yeah. Uh, middle brother Julian is um, former uh, television executive, worked uh, for current TV before that went defunct, and then uh, now runs his own mid-century modern furniture dealership and he's the largest importer of mid-century modern furniture in northern california and where's he importing from uh from denmark and england and anywhere that he can find stuff but mostly from those two places uh and then i'm the youngest and i am a magician in hollywood and so you know of all the other kids Your mother must be very growing proud. up in Marin County it's like doctors and lawyers and then my family of you know my, my mom was a teacher my dad's an engineer and they have these three wacky children <laughs> you could make your own sitcom slash Brady Bunch we could yeah we almost could um, so that's sort of uh, a little bit of my background so my, my oldest brother David found out I was going to bartending school mm-hmm. and he thought oh this sounds like fun so we went together and we went to the San Francisco School of Bartending, which is exactly kind of what you would imagine a kind of middle of the road bartending school is. You're mixing paint together to make you know mock cocktails, and they're really terrible. Like a lemon drop is lemon flavored vodka and sweet and sour mix, which is awful. Yeah. Um, but the the teacher at the time sounds like bartending for New Orleans. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. It's okay. you know it's very eighties cocktails that you kind of learn. Um, but the the teacher at the time was really into craft cocktails and mixology and all this stuff. It was sort of right on the brink of this whole movement of craft cocktails, right? Yeah. So he was this really eccentric, short, awesome dude who knew everyone in San Francisco and. Um, on Friday nights, we'd all show up after class, pitch in 20 bucks each, and he would go down, buy a bunch of liquor with all of our money, and come back and be like, all right, forget the paint that you've been mixing all day, here's some real cocktails. Like, we're gonna actually taste what these things are supposed to be. That's cool. It was awesome. Yeah. yeah. So the first real cocktail. You, again, you were like super nerding. Super nerding at out. At this yeah. bartending school. Yeah. <laughs> you like have fulfilled that position your entire life. I can't avoid the super nerd. It's I love just, it. I whatever love it, so it is. Much. I'm just super nerd out about everything. Yes, okay. And so the first cocktail I ever had was uh, Trader Vic's original Mai Tai. And one of the ingredients in that is orgeat, which is the sort of almond uh, syrup. The word syrup is kind of conjures a lot of weird... You know, Basically, syrup is just a sugar and flavor, right? So... It can be chemicals, but it can also be like take lime juice, mix it with sugar. You have lime syrup. There you go. Okay. So it's this almond syrup ingredient, and it's like if you've had real orgeat, it's it's like mind blowing. Sort of like oh my god, you know, it's the same as your. It's like a macaroon. Kind of well. Yeah. Okay. You uh, liquid macaroon. Maybe. Yeah. 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 Um, it, imagine if you, your image of cheese was Cheese Whiz, right? Okay, That's yeah. just all you knew. And then one day you tried actual brie or it's, you know, yeah. just whatever cheese you think is good. Yeah. Cheddar, right? You go, oh my God, 
this is like mind blowing. This is what real cheese tastes like. I thought yeah. it tasted like cheese whiz, right? So that's kind of what happens with cocktails, right? You go from syrups and just garbage products to fresh, real ingredients. So that that sort of shifted everything. Mm-hmm. So I went back to Indiana and I thought, you know, I was, oh, I'm, I know everything about cocktails now. Mm, I went to bartending school. And I just started playing around. I made the lemon drop that we learned in bartending school, learned that it was terrible. Yeah. And then uh, my first real drink that I made was a lemon drop with a fresh squeezed lemon, simple syrup, which at the time I was like, oh, I learned how to make simple syrup. By the way, equal parts sugar and water. It's basic simple syrup. You know, you can adjust that. This is like a cocktail 101. This is basically art of cocktails. But yeah. I love it. Um, and vodka and you know use not the cheapest vodka you can find yeah get semi-decent vodka and i made that and i was like oh this is fresh lemon juice all right this is it right here so i was doing that for a while started throwing themed parties at my house um we had murder party which was for halloween uh, we served red rum and stuff like that um, red rum red rum red rum red rum um what was the party i mean what's the how is that a theme i well Were murder party first of all there's a, there's an indie film called murder party everyone should see it it's amazing i rented it at like blockbuster back when that was a thing um <laughs> most of your listeners probably don't. anyone out there knows what blockbuster is um so it's like Napoleon Dynamite meets Texas Chainsaw Massacre. It's an amazing, <laughs> amazing little movie. And the, the, I think the tagline is Murder Party, Everyone Dies. And so in college, this was really funny. So we yeah. watched it and threw a party for that. But, you know, we got masking tape and made like a chalk outline of a person on the basement dance floor. And um, we made uh, sort of themed drinks and food and, you know, I really decorated the house. Back then, it, college party was basically you show up and somebody puts out a handle of vodka and Coke and you go at it, you know? And yeah. So I was actually bartending my parties because I was so into, I was so nerding out about bartending that I threw parties just to bartend at them, basically. And yeah. I, I set up an ironing board and taped it to the floor so it wouldn't move. <laughs> and I, I draped it with like bed sheets and that was the bar, you know? Yeah. I had a built a you know, makeshift bar. And, um, as much as I had, you know, we had tons of people over, and I served a lot of alcohol, um, mostly legally, not not really. Um, but no one ever got sick at my parties because I had food and I served each drink. Yeah. You know, if somebody sh- maybe was drinking too much, I you know, had cut them off. My friends, yeah, like, basically, yeah, I cut them off at my own party. I'm like, hey, go have some food, have some water, come back, and you know. So I never really had any problems because of that, and it was kind of cool. Yeah. Um, so we did like a Candyland themed party where I went to the library um, using resources at the the school. Of course, but there was this huge printer, like you could print banners basically, and I scanned in the entire um, board game uh, Candyland and printed it out. So my entire wall became the board for Candyland, and uh, each room was a different area from the game. And people showed up. That was another Halloween party we had. And uh, yeah, it was a ton of fun. And the last party I threw was Jungle Party, where I had, um, you know, the music was all jungle themed. And it had, it had like monkey sounds in the background going on. And we had uh, downstairs was all these like lasers and black lights. And I'd drawn um, jungle animals and highlighters. So they'd show up like in the corners of the basement and stuff like this. It was really cool. And I guess I'd thrown enough successful parties up until that point that the word 
kind of got out that yeah. it was some magicians throwing this fun party and um, it got busted oh not by the campus police not by the Bloomington police but by the Indiana State Excise Police and their only three things is tobacco firearms and alcohol they showed up at my party they had an undercover police officer mm-hmm. come buy alcohol because it was five dollars all you can drink so he bought a cup and then an hour later the entire police force showed up at my house surrounded the place there was 250 people at the time luckily most of the alcohol had you know i over prepared for these things most of the alcohol was gone i mean people drank everything that there was to drink mm-hmm. and uh they uh they carted people leaving the house and they spent four hours going through everything and they found a bunch of alcohol in the basement in my room they found about two thousand dollars worth of liquor that i had amassed as my own personal bar that i'd hid away from the party yeah and that was all they needed so they took that and um the next day it was the number one top headline in every single publication in the entire state of indiana they epic it was amazing it was all anyone was talking about there's this crazy huge party they it, it was unbelievable they gave out a lot of citations i got like four different um misdemeanors filed against me it wow. was pretty awesome um i feel like at this point we should mention to our underage listeners be responsible. Don't drink until you are legally able, and then once you are, drink responsibly. Unlike yeah. we are currently doing. Yep. Continue. <laughs> so, uh, it was a whole thing, but the alcohol they took from me was my own personal property. And they didn't have a search warrant, and they kind of did some legal stuff to to find it. Yeah. Um, and when I went to the prosecutor and I said, "Hey, here's photos of all the stuff the police took. I'd like it back, please. Thank you." Um, they were unable to produce it. Oh, how interesting. <laughs> how interesting indeed. So I ended up getting off um, completely, which, nice. was, which was great. Yeah. Um, the, the state of Indiana made about $50,000 off of my party in citations. So, you know, I gave back to the community that way. <laughs> Hopefully they, that money went to good use. Yeah. Um, it just went to buying more of what you had in your private exactly. collection. Yeah, well, and they got about $2,000 worth of booze that they drank. Um, so that was kind of, you know, that was the end of my parties for a while, but that was my senior year, and I learned a lot of um, things about responsibility. But I love that this is a magic podcast. Um, <laughs> you said you were a magician. Yeah. That's fine. So that's the story of, of all that. Um, so then I came out to Los Angeles. Um, the reason I came here... I met some people in Indiana who were from Los Angeles, and you know, we we said, "Hey, it would be cool if we lived together. We'd get we'd be roommates." But I saw the Magic Castle on TV when I was a little kid mm-hmm. on a program called "World's Greatest Magicians Live at the Magic Castle," which, for the longest time, in fact, up until about a month ago, wasn't anywhere other than a VHS copy that I had in my house mm-hmm. and that my brothers taped. And a VHS copy that is in the Magic Castle library and whatever other... It's like this thing aired once on TV and yeah. those 
who recorded it have it, and it was just gone. Otherwise, it's just in the ether. I couldn't find it anywhere, you know, and um, it's on YouTube now. Oh, wow. actually on YouTube, yeah, so... And on that, there you've got Kevin James, you've got Lance Burton, Goldfinger and Dove, Johnny Ace Palmer, Brian Gillis, uh, Paul Kozak. Uh, who else is on there? Uh, Steve Spill. There's more that I'm forgetting at the moment. That I'm sure they're gonna. There's somebody who's gonna be like, "You didn't? I'm on that thing." It's fine. Nobody listens to this. There's a lot of people <laughs> on that show, and it's awesome. Um, and so I never realized the Magic Castle was like a real place. Growing up as a kid, you see that on TV and it's just, it's TV, right? Yeah. And then at some point I realized, oh my God, this is an actual place. Or maybe I always thought it was and I just didn't I know the difference. But sure. I always wanted to go there. And yeah. I found out when I was a little older, like maybe 18, that uh, you have to be 21 to get in the Magic Castle. Except on weekends, but that's different. So I finally... You know, came out here when I was old enough, visited, and it was you know, amazing. Yeah. And anyone that goes to the Magic Castle for the first time, you know, it's like the most amazing thing. You just... Sensory overload, it's all magic. It's, it's all, too much to yeah. take in, you know. And most people, you know, there are some people who have really vivid um, memories of their exact first experiences. But most people, if you ask them who they saw and what happened... They can't really tell you because it's just so much yeah, going I have on. No idea. Yeah, I can't remember my first time. Um, I remember my second time. You know, I saw the midnight show. I managed to get in the midnight close-up gallery, and Brian Gillis was performing. And I went up to him and I was like, "Hey, you know, after the show, you're you're the guy I saw on this special when I was a kid." And he was like, "Oh God, you know, it's just it's kind of dated." So he's like, yeah. oh, "I'm so old." So I realized that people don't they didn't like hearing that I saw them on this special and that was inspiration so if you meet your heroes don't tell them that you saw them when you were a kid because the, the, they won't like that <laughs> it's not a thing people like to hear um, so that's how I ended up in LA and I started you know looking for bartending gigs and um, figured you know do bar magic whatever and I got a couple sweet gigs I was working at the Onda's Hotel which is the Riot Hyatt on Sunset, where like uh, I don't think it's Mick Jagger, but somebody threw a TV like through you know out of the balcony or something like that. So all the TVs are bolted down now, and the windows are all shut. And uh, it's where rock stars used to go and just trash the place. Working there for a while, and I ended up um, sort of falling down this rabbit hole of cocktails and the cocktail world in Los Angeles, which was just starting up when I first got here. Around what time was that? That was in two thousand. 10, uh, 2010, 2011. So when that was all first starting. It's when yeah. things like Moscow Mules, Bees Knees, Old Fashioned, like the you know the old old fashioned, not the '60s Mad Men old fashioned. Yeah, uh, those drinks were a big deal. You know, a stark and stormy at a bar was like, what's this? I've never heard of this. You know, yeah. Now you go to a bar, Moscow Mules like old hat. Oh, so it's like a Cosmo now. Yeah. Um, but back then it was. Uh, the the old classics from you know the prohibition era pre prohibition era were were a big big deal yeah. so I ended up learning these things and working in a couple different bars that were kind of crazy um, the bar world is an interesting place yeah how so well I just it's um 
I think it has to do with just the, the liquor and the craziness of getting into owning and running a restaurant and or bar. It's you kinda have to be a little nutty to, to kinda wanna do that. Okay. And so, you know, you, you give people charge over these bars and I don't know, there's a lot of stories that uh like such as like such as so i worked at this place Did you, have you seen that video still i know i keep which, doing which that. one which like one? such as uh miss south carolina 2000 oh yes okay i have that's what i'm like, doing yeah, when okay. i say like such yes. as. okay thank you listeners pause, uh, the, pause the episode go watch that video miss south carolina we'll 2000 time we'll wait i'm waiting actively okay yeah no, sufficient time so um nutty stories of nutty bar owners. I didn't, this is not how i expected all this to go but here we go uh i worked at a place downtown and just crazy things like um the owners would be upstairs doing lots of drugs while downstairs because it was across from disney opera house patrons who were coming in trying to get dinner and cocktails and all this before the show started were waiting and in the meantime, you know, the they're understaffed and the kitchen's behind and everyone's running around. Servers are screaming their heads off. And I'm behind the bar. This is like my second day, just wide-eyed, looking around. Like, I don't know what's going on, you know. Yeah. And I ended up in this confrontation where the bar manager who had hired me uh, was getting yelled at by the general manager. Because he's got all the, like, 20 cocktail tickets are coming out right and he's trying to make them uh, i was behind the bar training and he, he's he told me to step around sit at the bar and just observe as he w- made all the cocktails yeah and um and the general manager came up uh because i guess one of the, one of the cocktail servers had come up and you know said hey my drinks are taking too long and uh can i swear on this podcast yes he, he goes uh he goes he says, fuck off come back <laughs> and the cocktail server was like, "Oh, okay." So she went to manager and said, yeah. "Hey, bartender, just told me to fuck off at my tables, you know." So the the general manager comes back. He goes, "Hey, I need to talk to you right now." Yeah. And the bartender, bar manager goes, "Fuck he, off." He's, he's making like he's yeah he's making like ten drinks. He's like, "Right now, you want to talk to me right now?" And the manager says, "Yeah, I need to talk to you right now." He's like, "Nope, I can't talk to you right now. I'm making a bunch of drinks." And yeah. the manager's like, "I don't care about that." I don't care about that. I need to talk to you right now. And the bartender goes, fuck off. <laughs> I don't care what you think. I'm making these drinks and just keeps bartending. And I'm sitting there just like my eyes are even wider. And I'm like, what is going on? This is like my second day. And I'm just trying to learn <laughs> the menu. And, and the manager looks at me, general manager, and he's like, hey, you get behind the bar, make those drinks bar manager you come like we'll call him eric his name wasn't eric but he says you come now and and i'm looking at eric and he's like don't go you stay right there and i'm like freaking out i'm looking back and being told by two different people two different managers the general manager the bar manager one says get behind the bar the other says stay where you're sitting i'm like uh i'm gonna do what the guy that hired me said and i just sat there and I watched it all go down and it was crazy and somehow we got through all the drinks and afterwards um, there was a party at uh, at a magician's house actually that night that I got invited to that I really wanted to go to it was like his holiday party who was it? Uh, Andrew Goldenhurst's party oh yeah. okay and uh, and so I said to my manager I'm like hey uh, 
there's this party, you know, do you know what time I'm going to be off? Because I'd love to go, you know, whatever. And he goes, no, you're going to be here late. I got to train you all this stuff. So go take your dinner break and then come back. Okay. So I go for dinner break, walk next door, get my food, come back. And the restaurant's like closed down. Everyone had gone for the night. And I'm looking around for the manager and he's not there. Eric's not there. Yeah. Um, uh, where's Eric? Oh, he's, uh, he's not here. Go home. Come back tomorrow. Oh, okay. You know, I was supposed to stay till midnight. It's like nine. Yeah. I just took my dinner break. And I came back and I'm like, okay. So I leave. I go to Golden Harvest Parties. Great party. Yeah. And uh, text Eric. And I say, hey, uh, when should I come in tomorrow? And he goes, ah, I got fired. So I don't know. And I'm like, oh my God, I just got hired by this guy. Yeah. So then the next morning I call the restaurant. I'm like, hey, uh, when should I come in? They're like, Duh, don't worry about it. Just don't come in. Oh, okay. Mm, okay. So <laughs> I guess I didn't have a job anymore. And then the next, uh, the next couple of weeks, everybody pretty much got fired. Like they cleaned house. And then... Three, four months later, I got a call from that same restaurant. Hey, we don't have your email address. We're doing scheduling. And I'm like, didn't you guys fire me? Like two months ago? Like two, yeah. <laughs> didn't you? And they were like, um, we're going to call you right back. <laughs> Never called me back. You Amazing. Know? It's just like, what? So just craziness like that where sure. I just, you know, that was all one day. That was, <laughs> that was in the course of three hours you know <laughs> that that whole thing went down yeah and i ran into some of the people that i worked with at that place years later and they're like oh man that place is crazy you know? <laughs> so but it's similar things like that i used to i worked at a nightclub in hollywood for a couple of years doing um magic and bartending yeah and um we would have it was a legitimate speakeasy so we closed it two to yeah. the general public and then we opened again at three and you know Benicio del Toro and Sean Penn and Phil Ivey, one number one poker player in the, the world. This is the second episode Sean Penn has been brought up. Really? <laughs> oh has. man, he was at the castle the, uh, like a month ago. Yeah, he's like he hires Mike Pashada to do gigs for. No him. way, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, very cool. All right, go ahead. So, um, all these celebrities would show up late at night and mm-hmm. just drink. We that. Uh, one for two after two special. That is after two a.m. The price of one bottle is to- is the price of two. Um, Wait, one bottle is the price of two bottles. Right, one for two after two special because you can't drink anywhere in Los Angeles after two a.m. So you just jack it up because fuck you. Oh yeah. All right. Cool. Oh, yeah. I love it. It wasn't my decision. But no, but I love it. Yeah. It's reverse. So we, you know, we had princes of Saudi Arabia come through and you know make ridiculous claims like, "Hey, I need a DJ at four in the morning. I need DJ and I need twenty girls." It's like, um, no, you know, <laughs> we have alcohol. And he's like, "Here's twenty thousand dollars. I want a DJ and I want okay, okay." Start making calls. Hey, you know, the DJs are waking up. It's like we need you to get down here and just put on your whatever. You know, just bring your bring your stuff. Yeah. Um, that that was that was crazy. It's more craziness. Um, that sounds like a different kind of craziness. It was a different kind of craziness. Yeah, for sure. But that that was also its own kind of craziness. Yeah. And there were. That was. It was a secret back bar off of the side of one of the biggest nightclubs in Hollywood. So it was 
this, you know, the, the girls in the nightclub were bringing home tens of thousands of dollars a night yeah. from bottle sales, basically. And we were bringing home, like, maybe hundreds of dollars if we were lucky. Yeah. And it was crazy because they'd come into the bar and be like, that's so nice back here. And we're like, um, okay. Whatever you say. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, you know, Phil Ivey came in one night and just was sprinkling hundred dollar bills everywhere he walked, just literally sprinkling them across the bar. They're falling you know? out of his coat pockets. Yeah, it was unbelievable. I'm like, it, it it was the most quintessential Hollywood movie in the middle of Hollywood actually happening. Hashtag Hollywood, and <laughs> I couldn't believe it was real. Like it still seems like a dream. You know, yeah. That stuff. And I, I would, you know, after three, four in the morning, uh, these guys would be drinking and I'd go over and start doing card tricks and they'd be like, oh, this is great, do more. And I'm like, yeah, you know, it's kind of late and it's just start throwing hundreds down. They're like, come on, Selma, okay. So I had a bunch of money doing that. Um, but yeah, just Hollywood and nightclub life, it's, I think anywhere you look, it's, it's kind of crazy. Um, you know, they used to lock down a lot of the bars, I'm trying not to name it. No, I know, I can tell. <laughs> there's, a, there's a lot of bars. My first couple months in Hollywood, right? My my old bartending teacher from back in at San Francisco. Yeah. He has connections all across San Francisco. He could have got me a job anywhere if I'd stayed in the city. And um, I said, hey, do you know anyone in L.A.? And he goes, I don't really know anyone in Los Angeles. But, and this was the best piece of advice that I ever got said, you're a magician, that's really cool. The magic thing you do is great. Go down to those bars and order drinks, talk to people and do magic and just make friends and find out what the deal is, what the scene is. And I did that at the first bar, uh, it was called the Tar Pit. I can mention it because it's gone now. Um, it closed up a couple years ago. I think, I still to this day, I think it was the best bar LA ever had, but I went down, made some friends, did some magic, and um, actually that crazy bar manager I was talking about, yeah. not the crazy one, the awesome one that got fired, Yeah, um, he was the first bartender I ever met in Los Angeles at this bar. Awesome. And I did magic for him, and he was like, keep that magic coming, the rest of your drinks are free. And we racked up like a $200 tab and didn't pay for any of it. And then at 2 in the morning, they kicked everyone out, but they didn't kick us out. And they locked the doors, and then we just started partying. Started all the bartenders were drinking, and went till like seven in the morning. And then we walked outside. There's nothing more unsettling than leaving a bar and in having it be daylight. <laughs> when you walked in, it, it's nighttime. It's the opposite of like going to a movie in the middle of the day. Yeah. And you come out. It's night. You yeah. go to a bar at nighttime. You come out. It's daytime. You're like, there's there's quite an intense feeling of like what's going on there. Wow. Um, I've but, never had that happen. I'm a supreme homebody. I'm basically an old man, so I don't know what that feels like. It's pretty great. You should try okay. it sometime. Yeah, all right. Maybe tonight. Um, Jesus. <laughs> I have to do another podcast at 10 in the morning. That's perfect. Okay, we'll do it. Right, we'll prepare. Right. We just, we, we'll just party until the podcast. No. Okay. So this is really... I don't know where this is going, but... Um, just keep going. It's we'll amazing. find a it's we'll find a way. Okay. <laughs> We're just gonna cut the first three hours of this podcast. So the thing is, is Jordan and I are good friends, and we hang out frequently. So this is just us learning about each other, and you get to listen in. So this you are fantastic. our special guest. The listener is the special guest. Seven hours later, we get to the actual magic part of the magic. Who cares podcast. about the magic stuff? Go ahead. So uh, 
we ended up partying late into the night, meeting a lot of interesting characters, and that was all fun and great and good. And in the meantime, I learned a whole hell of a lot about bartending. Um, the the tar pit, which was uh, reaching for the sake, that's great. The uh, the tar pit, it was this sort of just magical place where all of the best bartenders and bar managers that that sort of emerged from the next five years throughout LA all passed through the tar pit as bartenders and managers yeah just like one I mean it was just this unbelievable ground it's like the yeah it really was yeah um and uh what happened to it why did it shut down just the same reason anywhere anywhere, you know it's first of all it's Los Angeles yeah it's really hard for anything to last long here and um yeah there's a whole number of reasons and okay go ahead but no it uh it eventually came to its its close and um when i when i first came to la you know i thought i knew a lot because i went to bartending school and i knew how to make cocktails and you know i thought i, I thought i knew what i was got doing. shut down by the police <laughs> yeah but i got a, i got a chance to learn from some people who really knew what they were doing um and you know bartending is and bartending's not really really the right word for it, but I guess craft cocktails is what you could call it. You know, some people know it as mixology. Mixology, just for the record, is a made-up word and is not a thing. Um, so that it just refers to like the art of making cocktails, mm-hmm. as, as far as the old recipes are concerned, and the classics, and the way that it started from the beginning, not from the 80s and the 60s, 70s, 80s, and there's a whole bunch of stuff there. There's lots of cocktail podcasts that explain all that stuff. Sure. What are um, your favorites? My favorite cocktails? Favorite cocktail podcasts. I don't listen to any cocktail podcasts. Okay, I just great. know that there are a lot of cocktail <laughs> podcasts out there. Sure. I didn't know if you had a recommendation. I don't. Okay. So, uh, there's a lot let's of great books. There's a lot of great books. There's, there's a lot. Well, the thing is, there's just a lot of history on all this stuff out sure. there in the world. We yeah. don't need to go over it right now. Uh, if you're interested, there are links. Follow the links. We'll put some links. Jordan will give you're, me links. You're going to need to get some links. That's uh, not mine. Uh, I'll get you some links. Okay. So Email Jordan. JordanGold at gmail.com. There are things like... There's a difference between a stirred cocktail and a shaken cocktail, right? Yes. So we've, yeah. we've heard James Bond, shaken, not stirred. Yeah. That's okay, a mistake. What, what does that mean? Yeah. Right? Yeah. So... Um, Actually, I have a theory about this. I don't think it was a mistake. Do you go know on. I think he asked for shake and not stir because when less you shake, yes, exactly. He was able mm. to stay more sober. Do you want to describe to the listeners why that's so? Okay, so generally speaking, you stir cocktails that are uh, alcohol, liquor based entirely. Like a Manhattan is all liquor. It's vermouth. It's bitters. It is whiskey, rye. Um, you mostly rye. You can make it whiskey, bitters. <laughs> Vermouth. Vermouth. Sweet vermouth. Sweet vermouth. Um, The reason for stirring it has to do with dilution. It has to do with texture. Nothing. It's on Do Not Disturb. This is... All right. Well, the podcast is ruined. The podcast is ruined. And I'm just going to go back to shuffling. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, listeners. Okay, go ahead. So... Sweet vermouth, and then what? You, you generally you stir a cocktail if it is uh, it doesn't have 
sugar and citrus in it and then you shake it if it does um this has to do with dilution and it has to do with texture yeah so shaken not stirred for something like a martini whether it's vodka or gin or anything shaken doesn't really make a lot of sense because you don't want it to be super cold and super bubbly and airy it's it's on mute i swear to god i'm so sorry just gonna go back to shuffling these cards again Oh, this is the worst. I feel like I'm just a a really terrible person. Well, now that we've warmed up, I feel like we should. It's time to start the podcast. So we should. Let's just start from the beginning. Okay. Uh, Hi, I'm Elliot Turner. No, no, no. Okay. So sweet vermouth. You got to start. It's about dilution. Let's do it. Okay. This isn't going to happen again. The point is, yeah, that when you when you stir a cocktail, you know, you build it over. You put it. (laughs) Laughing at me now. You put it in a glass of ice, right? And there were. You know, one of the one of the techniques was you you put rock ice, but then you also put chips of ice, and then you have different sizes of ice while you're stirring it. Yeah. And I was wondering, okay, what's this? You know, what what's going on here? There's different techniques, and everywhere along the way, because in in cocktails, I was learning these traditional methods and traditional techniques, and I was really interested and fascinated by that, and nerding out over all that. But I always approach them from, okay, why? I understand that this is something that we've been doing and these are techniques that you've learned from somebody that learned it from somebody that learned it from a book or whatever it is. These have been described. Yeah. But I need to understand why. Explain to me the exact reason. For a stirred cocktail, it has to do with getting the right temperature and the right dilution. Those are two separate things. Mm -hmm. So you want to use chips of ice so that they melt quicker and you can get that dilution, but larger chunks of ice so you can keep it cold without getting as much dilution. Now at a bar, you need to get these drinks out fast. So having surface area, right? This is technical details, but the point is there's a reason for everything. Yeah. And I found that some of the techniques that were in bartending and like craft bar- bartending, craft cocktails, didn't make sense to me. And I found other techniques that, that sort of work just as good. And I think that applies to magic, too, because there's a lot of methods and theories out there and ways of doing things that aren't necessarily the best ways of doing things. Mm-hmm. And um, it's it's always important not to just learn things and go, oh, well, this is the way that I learned it. Because someone taught it. Because somebody taught it. Somebody wrote it doing down. It. Yeah. But to actually look at these things and figure out what exactly is going on here. What is the, the method? And I actually just... Um, uh, helping Andrew Mayen with a new trick he's putting out and he had a really cool method for it and this is Magic Trick 2.0 Magic Trick 2.0 we're coming out of this in uh, yeah. um, and we realized you know there's a completely better way of doing this and we shot the whole thing and he called me up the next day and says uh, you know, do you want the good news or the bad news the good news is that we have to reshoot the whole thing and the reason is because he found a better way of doing it. Yeah. So, you know, I realized the method was method-based. We thought, oh, this is a way of doing it. But there's actually a better way of doing it. Simpler, easier to make, easier to build, easier to perform. And it looks better. And it does. And, you know, sometimes, I, I don't know if Brecky talked about this, but, you know, his in his lecture notes, he talks about art tiers. It's one of my favorite things that, you know, he's come up with is... Sometimes you have to cry art tears over things, and when it when it makes sense, it's better to throw it out. To throw it out, yeah. To to go with what works. Yep. And you know, 
I, I did a lot of that with with cocktails is sort of figuring out wait a minute there are better ways to get these things out mm-hmm. and um, it's interesting because it I've when I first started doing these techniques that kind of worked a little better they weren't very popular because that was at a time where everyone had handlebar mustaches myself included and it was all very traditionalist mm-hmm. and later on people came around to realizing wait these these techniques actually work better yeah so you there's been a, a big shift in cocktails um from being stoically you know precise yeah. mm-hmm. about the old method to mm-hmm. you know really doing the cocktail the justice that it deserves as its own being to using yeah modern techniques for the sake of efficiency um to the point not now it's actually going a little to the uh, ironic where we're going back to sort of the 80s inspired cocktails which I'm not a huge fan of but yeah. it's like the cocktail podcast you know irony is kind of done it's kind of done I just, I'm just listening to Bo Burnham talk about this like Geico is doing ironic commercials irony is not cool anymore yeah. you know. I agree with that Okay. anyway go ahead so that's that's cocktails. Uh, I got heavily involved in the whole cocktail world. I ended up working at you know some of the hippest bars in Los Angeles, if that's what you want to call them, and it was all really fun. And but you know at the end of the day, it it kind of I don't know. I kind of I ended up getting away from from it. The the, the cocktail community, I guess, was trending more towards the trendy is yeah. hey let's do things that are cool and fun it started as oh my god fresh lemon juice is the greatest thing ever as opposed to processed lemon juice yeah and it went full circle and came around to hey we should use these these ingredients that maybe no one's using because no one's using them not because it's better yeah 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 so that i kind of lost touch with where the point of it yeah that's sort of where everything was going um and i think that things are starting to level out a little bit and people are coming down it it just was this this sort of big wave that came over first the wave of oh my god there are these traditional drinks and old-fashioned oh my god this craziest thing ever to going full circle and now it's like okay we know what the differences between good drinks and bad drinks are and we can let people decide what those are yeah there's also a certain level of education um, involved with the public because you put fresh ginger on a menu, you put Moscow Mule on a menu, people don't know what those are. You have to let them know. And it sort of was up to the big brands that that were pushing these drinks, which is how the Moscow Mule became popular in the first place, was Smirnoff Vodka was pushing it as a thing, as a, as a way to sell vodka. And so we've kind of come full circle from hundred years ago of this drink coming back in the fashion for the sake of selling vodka. So that's sort of where it all goes to. But in the midst of all that, I actually did a magic show um, that was cocktail themed mm-hmm. for a company called Diageo, which is the second biggest spirit company in the world, I believe. Diageo owns Lagavulin and Lafroy listeners, mm-hmm. two of my favorite scotches. Mm-hmm. They, there's an event here in Los Angeles that's been going in the last five years called Art Beyond the Glass, mm-hmm. where they found out that bartenders in Los Angeles are multi-talented and have 
other skills other than just bartending? Actually, it wasn't Lafroy, it was Oban. My mistake. There you go. Go ahead. Yeah, we're, we'll, we'll put some links. Check out the links. <laughs> so they sponsored a magic show, and we had this great idea of, oh, my God, we're going to make a Moscow mule. We're going to have a big box. We're going <laughs> to produce a donkey, like yeah. a real donkey, and yes. we'll put a Russian hat on it. And that will be our Moscow mule. Yes. Great idea, right? So we pitched that. (laughs) You know, and I figured, I could do it. That is an idea. I just go to Steinmeier and he'll he'll tell me what I need. Yeah. Let's go ask him. He'll figure it out. So we pitched this to Yajo and they said, you know, we really don't feel comfortable working with live animals because of insurance purposes. So, okay. Next best thing. We'll get... (laughs) <laughs> we'll get the two biggest names in bartending right now who were uh, the guys that sort of were on the forefront of the Los Angeles craft cocktail movement and we'll get those guys we'll put them in a donkey costume right? so we, we won't have a live animal but we'll still be able to produce a donkey right? yeah that idea didn't really work out because we couldn't really get both of them to agree and we realized okay maybe the donkey costume it's going to be kind of logistically challenging to produce two guys in a donkey costume it's even more difficult so then we went down to okay and this is all just trying to avoid the the trope of sexy girl you know in yeah leotard yeah we were trying to be hip and cool right we're not going to produce sexy girl in leotard we're going to do something different so then we figured so sexy girls in a donkey costume well, well so we figured you know we'll go we'll get the the hippest male bartender right all tattooed out the one that everyone uh we there's a guy that everyone likes and yeah so and he was willing to do it sure you guys want to produce me in a donkey costume sure and we thought maybe we'll like make him look kind of sexy right because it'll be funny it'll yeah. be different he's wearing a donkey costume that has a leotard on it turns out um he wouldn't fit in any of the apparatus. Yeah. So there is a reason that the uh, sexy the, girls and the sexy times. girls work because they fit in the boxes. I mean, they they work. You know, they're the right size. So we ended up getting sexy girl in leotard, wearing a Russian hat and donkey ears. So she was our Moscow mule. Um, and Jonathan Pendragon let us borrow his Blamo box for the occasion, which was pretty cool. So for the grand finale, we did. We, we had the Blambo box. We threw in a bag of limes into the box. We threw in a uh, couple pounds of ginger root into the box. We threw in a couple bottles of Smirnoff vodka into the box. And boom, box explodes, opens up, and we have our sexy girl in Russian hat and donkey ears as our Moscow mule. Uh, so that was pretty fun. There's a couple of photos from that. Um, links, we'll send links. Check the links. Listeners, and there will be no links. There's going to be so many links. I've got about 100 links to send you. I'll let you sift back through this episode. It'll be great. And collate all the links. Yeah, it'll be fine. Okay. It's www.http. I'm not buying another website. Diageo. Hashtag Aussiewonstartalking.com. Okay. So, so that was the thing. We did a couple other fun, like, cocktail-themed tricks for that show. So that was, you know, one of the biggest intersections of cocktail magic. Um currently working on a couple projects involving cocktails and magic for some stuff in Hollywood that I can't at the moment talk about. Well, this won't come out for at least 
two weeks. Oh, perfect. Right. <laughs> the bar is not going to be opening for a while, so we'll see. But um, maybe later we can talk about it. I'll let you know about it. It should okay. be fun. We'll do it. We'll, do a, we'll do a bar. Well, this has been great. Episode. Thank you so much, Jordan. <laughs> All right, so now we're ready to start the podcast because yeah. uh, we've made it through all the. the it's so it's so funny. Stuff. We've referenced the Aussie won't stop talking episode where there was no ending, and this one has not yet begun. This is not the episode, right? This is because you know. This is just two guys talking for an hour. We're just we haven't done anything yet. Yeah. Just talked about cocktails. Yeah, you were a water sommelier, sort of. I was not a water sommelier. I worked. Slash studied under America's premier water sommelier. This is a great story, actually. So, well, uh, I think I wrote it down. His name is Martin. <laughs> Martin. Martin. Uh, Martin. Is the country's or world's? Martin. Countries. Martin Reese is his name. Martin He's Reese. Fantastic. Dot net. That's not. Don't. There will be a link. Martin we'll send, Reese. We'll put an actual link net. to Martin's website. So I worked at a bar, Ray's and Stark Bar, which was at uh, the Los Angeles County Museum of Art. And yeah, it's it's pretty famous. Um, It's it's literally in the center of Los Angeles. Can't miss it. So we uh, there's a bar there. It was outdoor. It was a beautiful bar, and we had this eccentric German man, Martin, as our general manager. Was always running around being extra eccentric and extra German all the time. Mm-hmm. And how long did you work for Martin? Uh, I was there maybe a year and a half. So you have a Martin impression. I can't really do German accent at all. So no, no, I don't. Yeah. I don't have a. I don't have a Martin accent for you today. Okay, I couldn't do it justice. Maybe off mic. You wouldn't. <laughs> you wouldn't understand. You have to meet him. But okay, he is a, a certified legitimate water sommelier from Germany. That's where he got certified. And he he has his own brand of water, uh, Beverly Hills 90H2O. Oh, look at that. Uh-huh. Ooh, child. Stir-crafted water. Beverly and, Hills uh, 90H2O. Yeah. Uh, use use uh, promo code Jordan Gold when buying your Beverly Hills 90H2O, and uh, maybe I'll get some... Uh, Sense some on the throwbacks dollar. hopefully I don't know I'm not being uh, paid to talk about this but um, Martin Reese works Martin at Reese, the bar and he decided that he was going to do Los Angeles most ambitious water menu so we had a menu of 20 different bottled waters um, from now, across the globe or from across, across the globe yeah ranging anywhere from $10 for uh, I think uh, like Isgilda and uh, Gerald Steiner, all the way up to twenty dollars for Berg, which is iceberg water, Canadian glacial water. It's been untouched by humans for fifteen thousand years. Oh yeah, I know a lot about water. I know. One of my favorite stories, which I will tell after your story, is about how you introduced me to the greatest sparkling water. So anyway, go ahead. Which is uh, we'll we'll get. To I'll tell. So, I'll talk yeah. about the yeah. So he brought on this this water menu and it was unbelievable. The uh, just we the, the amount of craziness that ensued because the bar at LACMA was an outside bar. It's not a typical bar where you have to go inside and deal with the bartenders. People just walked by. It was in the museum. You know, it was in the, it was in the outdoor patio of the museum. Yeah, and so. 
people just had this sort of Disneyland vibe about it where they could just come up and ask for whatever. So people would always stop. Hey, where's the bathroom? Where's this place? Where's the annex? I'm looking for whatever. And one of the biggest questions we always got was, hey, do you have, can I get a bottle of water? Yeah. And for the longest time, it was like, no, you know, <laughs> no, we don't have a bottle of water. And then, you know, I, I mentioned one day, you know, maybe we should get like a case of just Arrowhead water or something so we can sell the water. People want water, so I'm a bottle. And he fired you. <laughs> Well, that was before we had our water program. So then okay. it, we got to the, the point where the only water we had were these... Now, these are not like a, a bottle of water that you normally buy yeah. at like a store. These were wine bottle size bottles of water. These were 750 or milliliters or whole liter bottles of... Uh, one liter bottles of, of water. Uh, mineral water. Fancy mineral water. And yeah. we had like a leather-bound, beautiful water menu so people come up and this was part of the job you know i wish i could have just said no i know what you want and here it is but they'd say hey do you have water and it's like ah yeah as a matter of fact and i'd give them a water menu and it was like a magic trick (laughs) watching people's brains explode (laughs) when you handed them a water menu it's like uh, what is this? And people would actually go from shocked to uh, to angry. You know, they they thought they were on a TV show, like yeah. you know, punk being punked or whatever. Mike Carbonara. They go, this is, I I just I just want a bottle of water. I'm like, there's a there's a lot there. Starting at ten dollars a bottle, you know, and they're just the the rage and fury, just trying to get people to understand because you have to understand. The, the restaurant, the bar, this was a fine dining restaurant. Yeah. It happened to be at this museum where every walk of life in Los Angeles comes through, right? Every single person throughout the year comes through Los Angeles County Museum of Art to see the exhibits and the different things. It's just one of these places that yeah. working there, I saw all my friends over the course of a year come, come by. So you, you have people who are eating you know, two, three, four hundred dollar uh, meals in the restaurant, and the idea is this water's for them because why would you spend fifty, sixty dollars on an entree prepared by this great chef, and then drink tap water, LA's finest, when you could be drinking, you know, this beautiful mineral water from some stream in you know, the Norway, Galicia. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, uh, which was uh, was our Norwegian water? We had uh, we had it. Voss, Voss Norwegian water. So, which is great. Voss is great. <clears throat> Actually, do you know the the bottle for Voss was designed by Calvin Klein? I did not know that. I've had Voss. I don't care for it. The water? Yeah. Well, I the, actively dislike. But it. the bottle is a great. Design. The bottle is absolutely it's gorgeous. One of my favorite. Which is why designs. I bought the water. Just for the bottle. For the bottle. The Calvin Klein bottle. Yeah. I saw a bottle of Voss, an empty bottle of Voss that was um, at Goodwill in the glassware section that cost more than a full bottle of Voss. They priced it higher than just a bottle. Anyways, (laughs) so uh, people would come by just for water and not realize, you know... uh, They were in for some sort of experience. It was just... it It wasn't poor design. It was just a problem of the environment where... People saw this outdoor bar and thought they you know, just didn't this, know what this it was. Like maybe it's a go bar. It was they didn't 
associated with a fine dining establishment. Yeah. And the restaurant that was attached was, uh, the walls were all solid glass walls. I mean, the, the restaurant was beautiful. So yeah. you, you sort of got that the restaurant was a thing. But the, the bar just seemed like, well, it's an outdoor bar. You know, maybe they have bottles of water. Um, so I learned a lot about that. And then I happened to have one of the menus in my car because I was, um, let's say I was studying the menu, right? It wasn't because I wanted one personally. I just was studying the menu so I could get to know the water better. Of course. Of course. Of course. This is all about water. <laughs> And I was at Brooklyn, uh, Brooklyn Follies. Um, if you don't know, Brooklyn is the house uh, owned by uh, Erica Larson, um, you know, daughter of founders of the Magic Castle. It's the Larson family home. They have a beautiful theater and they host magic shows, variety shows. They're the Brooklyn Follies from time to time. And I've been very fortunate to attend some of these. I was there last night with. Our good friend Elliot here. Yes, it was the greatest show I've ever seen. It was my whole life. Penn and Penn was there again. That was the second time I've seen Penn at the Follies. Billy the Mind, Puddles the Clown, um, Johnny Thompson, Legends of Magic. They just it was incredible. The first time you saw Penn at Brooklyn Follies, though, what did you get? The first time I saw Penn, I happened to have the water menu in my car, which Mm -hmm. was parked just down the street. And Penn, uh, about eight years prior to that, had done a bullshit episode about a fake water sommelier, somebody that filled the bottles, just all these various bottles from a garden hose, and then just told people how great the water was while they went, oh, this is great, you know, I can taste the difference. And it was all the same water. So I saw Penn, I said, hey, I have a present for you. And he, just, he looked at me like, like what? I don't, Who are you? I've never met you. <laughs> what yeah. is this? And I ran in my car and I came back and I said, this is a legitimate water menu. And it's for you. It exists. There's a place in Los Angeles with a water sommelier. And there's a water menu. And this is my gift to you. And he loved it. And I took a photo with him um, with the, the, the page open to 90H2O. And then I tweeted the photo because I thought it was hilarious. You know, uh-huh. here's Penn with this water menu. And Martin and the company 90H2O both saw the tweet and did not realize the irony. So they retweeted it. Oh, how wonderful. Because they just saw celebrity Penn Gillette with their water brand. And so that was kind of the greatest... And I came to work the next day. I was kind of a hero to everyone for this little tweet storm thing. Um, so that was you kind of fun. You happen to be in the right place at the right time frequently. I do. I'm. That's like my superpower. It's been the I right place really at the right is, time. Yeah. yeah. I have that written down. This is one of those crazy moments where you, you it just kind of happened. Um, mm-hmm. But... I think that there's an important lesson in all that because it's not just about being in the right place at the right time. It's about taking full advantage of being in the right place at the right time. How so? What do you mean? So one of my favorite stories in all of magic written about by Eugene Berger. There's this guy, John Railing, that I'm sure none of you have ever heard of. He's one of my favorite magicians on the face of the planet. And uh, no one's ever heard of him because he is out there working for real people and he's he hasn't I don't think he's published anything I don't think he 
he's not a magic name. You know, he's yeah. not like Michael Amar, these people that we know, we don't know him. But he yeah. performs for the rich and the famous and the, you know, the yacht owners of the world. And there's a famous story of him meeting Ted Turner. And uh, one of the tricks he does is a uh, $100 bill switch with any bill called for. What what currency do you want? I'll, I'll make it appear. And he also does a version of this where he does it with coins. And so one of the things he always has on him is a gold Krugerrand, which is solid gold one ounce coin from South Africa that's worth you know the price of gold. So several thousand dollars um, between like fourteen hundred dollars, fifteen something around there. Yeah. Uh, current market price. So he's got this thing on him, and. Um, this story goes a couple different ways. Um, one is that he knew that Ted Turner always carried a gold Krugerrand on him. The other is that he just happened to have this gold Krugerrand on him and was doing magic for Ted Turner, who apparently is not the biggest magic fan in the world. Kind of skeptical. So John Raylan comes up and he's he's got this gold Krugerrand pumped, ready because he you know has done this any build called for. And usually after that, you know, people ask for Gold Krugerrand, especially the the company that he usually performs for. And Ted Turner reaches into his pocket and produces a Gold Krugerrand. And he goes, what can you do with this? And there is a moment, right? Right place, right time, right moment. You're palming the exact coin somebody just challenged you to do a magic trick with. Yeah, and the way he plays it off is he looks at it and he squints his eyes and he goes, "What's that?" And he go, Ted goes, oh, "That's that's a gold Krugerrand. You've never seen one of these? No. What? Gold, like real gold? Like it's got to be gold plated, right? No, this is solid. This is a solid gold, one ounce gold coin mm-hmm. from South Africa." And so he reaches down, and he looks at it. You mind if I touch it? Right? Picks it up, looks at it, and then boom, splits it in half. Now he's got two. And, you know, Ted Turner's just like speechless, sitting there going, ah, because you, there's no way that you, you, there's you no think way back, you right? There's no, there's no explanation for that, mm-hmm. right? There's, you, you, yeah. you just, I pulled there's the rarest nothing. coin out of my pocket, and you. And uh, again, yeah. the, I, I have to, you should have John on the program, but I have to talk to him because I've heard different versions of the story. The version I've heard is that he then places the coin down, gives it to, to gives it back to Ted. Thank you very much. I, I'm sure you don't mind if I keep this one. Right? Yeah. Away. I've heard a version where he gave Ted both coins and then walked away. Um, I need to check in and clarify. Clarify. I'm sure. Either know, way, tell you, both bad both fucking ass. But the idea is, you know, yeah. being in the right place at the right time and having being prepared for being the moment. Pre- Prepared for the moment. Mm-hmm. Now, sometimes I've also been lucky because there are times where I've been at the right place at the right time twice. Where the first time maybe I wasn't as prepared as I could have been, but then I realize, okay. Now I know what there's, there's, you know, to, maybe I ran into this person at a conference, and oh my god, there's this trick that would have been perfect. I could have fooled them completely, or this piece of information, or something like that. Mm-hmm. But then. 
there's a second chance to come around and and fool them right or so. like i ran into this person this trick would have been perfect but my prop broke in vegas my prop so broke next in time. vegas but next time i see them which actually will be about a week later i will make sure to have that prop on me yeah and it will work the second time around. yeah but uh yeah there is a certain amount of luck involved with all these things especially being a magician yeah it seems like you've made I'm not gonna say made that luck. What, what am I? Some kind of you? It's you can't make the luck, but you can um, you can sort of control the environment to a degree. Yeah. Um, there's been a lot of instances. Uh, you know, at the Magic Castle, there's a lot of celebrities. Uh, at a lot of the parties I work in, in Hollywood, there's celebrities. You know, yeah. Go to, we could go to a cafe right now and. Stephen Baldwin might be there. I've yeah. run into that guy. You know, it's, it's, who cares? You know, it's stay hey, there. Stephen Baldwin eating lunch, but you wouldn't see that outside of L.A. Yeah. You know, that if you did, it would be oh my god! I ran into this is crazy. Yeah. Here it happens all the time. So there, there's a certain amount of being aware of you know whatever it is you want to do. If, if it's a celebrity that you want to meet and do magic for, um, or you know, for me, it's it's getting a chance to perform for these people. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, as a magician in Hollywood, if you can get a photo performing for somebody that's well known, that's great. You know, and yeah. it's it's kind of a challenging thing because you see a lot of people uh, who, when it comes to celebrities and even in magic celebrities, you know, people that are only famous to us just being in Magic Live and hanging out with some of these guys, I see you people just run up and they take selfies. It's like, hey, you're you're famous, let me take a selfie and that's it, you know. And you would you get a crappy selfie of you and this guy that's not paying attention. You know, Neil Patrick Harris, for example, was the president of the Magic Castle. I can't tell you how many um I'm gonna make a lot of friends with this one. Uh, <laughs> I can't tell you how many photos I've seen I'll post on Facebook of people saying, "Hey, here I am with Neil Patrick Harris," and Neil's in the background, like making, you know, like doesn't looks like he doesn't care because he all, know they just a wanted a photo with this guy. It's like you know, if you can figure out a way to to talk to them, um, I always find some sort of opening line that's um, interesting mm-hmm. and involves them. That's not the, the same crap that they hear all the time, right? Yeah. And I just, they're people like anybody else. Yeah. That's important to remember is that that person is just a person. all people. They have the same thoughts and feelings and emotions as all of us. They all have the same bodily functions. They've got more followers and and probably more money, maybe. But other than that, they're they're the same. And I see see people, uh, especially in Hollywood and, you know, at the magic conventions and stuff like that. I see these these famous people being treated like commodities, you know, by, by people. Hey, I need to get this. I have to get this photo of you and me to, yeah. to look cool. And it's better to actually talk to those people and try and, you know, even if you see them and you go and you sit for 15 minutes on your phone and find something interesting to talk to them about, do a little research, you know. Yeah. Um, talk to them, you know. Make friends. Make friends. Learn how learn social skills. Oh my god. Um, 
the the thing is their social skills it's a skill that you learn how to do yeah some people are naturally gifted at painting but you still you can learn you how to can paint. learn how to do anything you can learn how to draw and learning how to talk to people is a skill that you can acquire absolutely and it is one of the most important things that doesn't get talked about in magic you know yeah. we're so concerned with double lifts and you know card technique and coin technique and all this stuff and mm-hmm. uh it it doesn't it won't bring you as far it doesn't save you it doesn't save you yeah it won't save you yeah and um, there's something to be said for spending the time to learn how to talk to people. It is the 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 thing that I'm I'm always working on, and the number one skill that if you want to be a professional in anything, not even just magic, like that that's what you need. And it's one of the things I learned from being behind a bar. You know, uh, you learn how to find some sort of even if it's the thinnest common thread between you and another person you start with that and you go off maybe you start with both having learned an obscure instrument and then you go on some crazy conversation about stupid nights at bars you know but yeah that's how that's how conversations progress yeah are you ready to start the podcast i'm super or? ready to start the podcast because we haven't <laughs> talked about anything good yet um no that's it, it couldn't be more important um, to learn how to talk to somebody and um, I talked a little bit about this with my friend Jeremy Jeremy Griffith he read Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People it's a great book cover to Everyone cover several times it. absolutely but the thing that I like have to remind myself because I'm I'm a shy person I think almost everybody that does magic is a shy is person is a shy person almost right? every, there's maybe like one or two magicians who just naturally are yeah. sure sure but but the thing is is like when you walk up to somebody and you start to talk to them, the thing you have to remind yourself is literally what's the worst thing that can happen. And of course there are terrible things that would be highly embarrassing that could happen. But what's the worst thing that probably could happen? You get stabbed. You <laughs> but I probably. Think, I, think you I can mean, pretty you, much gauge. You know, diarrhea could shoot down you your can, leg. You can gauge I mean, the stabbers <laughs> from a quite a distance. <laughs> yeah. It's not like you're going to be ten minutes into a conversation and then realize I think this surprise. Is gonna stab me. <laughs> yeah. Um, but no, you know what? It's that's a very interesting question. I don't know what it is that's so scary. Yeah, about talking to other people. It's a fear of of, of for me. I'll speak for me. My the thing that I'm afraid of is not looking, not not appearing good enough, or that I know what I'm talking about, or that I'm not worthy to be speaking to this fear person. Fear of failure. Fear of failure is a big one. Yeah. You know, I was uh, my somebody on Facebook. As, I can't remember where I saw this. There was something about... I'll send you a link to exactly what it was. It was about the difference between producing uh, art, producing um, content, producing whatever it is, and hiding. Right? You don't want to be hiding. Yeah. And if you're, if you're afraid of failing, and that leads you to not producing anything, not putting out anything... Not, Producing is maybe not the right word. Not putting anything out in the world yeah. because you're afraid that it's going to be perceived as bad or failing or, you know, uh, then you're hiding. Yeah. And there's there's nothing good about that. Yeah. Two things about that. First is, um, you know, sometimes people that have doing a skill for a long time 
complain about a younger generation and the way that they do things. Of course, because they haven't had the time to put out the mm-hmm. thing that you've been doing for many years. And so when they get to your level, you know, you can't... It's that sort of thing. There has to be the time where they put out... And then I'm sure they'll complain about the younger generation. And then the second thing is that 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 fear of being judged is what prevents people from putting things out. Like I know right now for myself, there's some material that I want to work on, but I'm like, oh, I'm going to sit around and theorize. I'm going to sit around and think about all the choreography and all the scripting and all of the moves and all the things, and I'm going to try and get it perfect before I go out and do it. And that just isn't how the world works. I know that I need to go out in front of an audience and do this thing and mess it up and do this thing and learn the details, learn what actually happens in the real world so that I can then go on and do it well. And you just have to put that time in. You have to put that work in so, mm-hmm. that, so that it becomes good. Mm-hmm. You can't hide, which is what I default to. Yeah. But I'm trying not to do that. That's good. I'm pretty good at not doing that. That's good. Yeah. Yeah, you don't be afraid of dumping out the cocktail, you know? Gotta if you wanna make something that's delicious, you're gonna throw some stuff away. Yeah. I I've spent there's simple things. Uh I'm into cooking as well. And I think cooking is an amazing analogy for magic for so many reasons. We can get into all the details. But uh, you know, at the base level, you know, you have chefs and you have cooks and there's nothing wrong with either one of those. They're two different things. You've got yeah. people that create brand new dishes and you've got people that cook hamburgers, right? But maybe a cook who just makes a hamburger, it's nothing unique or new about that. Maybe he makes the best hamburger in, you know, that anyone's ever tasted. And maybe a chef makes the most original dish you've ever had, but it's not good. You know, it's just different and weird and original. And yeah. Maybe some people like it and some people hate it. Um, but there are simple things like cooking an egg that have taken me years to master. <laughs> we talked about it on the phone yesterday. It's taken me years to master. I mean, and you're cheating though. Now I'm not your cheating. Sous-vide. You're cheating with your using sous-vide. a sous vide is not cheating. cheating. It is a tool. No, it's a cheat code. <laughs> no, I disagree. <laughs> you should read Thomas Keller's book about this. About the sous vide? About the sous vide, yeah. He talks about that. Because yeah. uh, for those of you who don't know, sous vide is, uh, it translates to under vacuum. And basically you take food, vacuum seal it, and you place it in a water bath of precisely the temperature that you want your food cooked at. So if you're cooking a steak, you're cooking it at hundreds of degrees higher than you want it to be finished at. And then you have to take it out really quick before it's finished cooking. But it's still cooking because it's, you know... It's so hot when you take it out that you have to sort of anticipate it cooking after from the you outside take it out of them. If you put it in sous vide, you just put the end result temperature in and it just cooks it to that throughout perfectly. Um, but Thomas Keller talks about how it's this new technology. It's not really new, but it's a technology that allows you for this precision of cooking, but it's not a replacement for technique and yeah. knowledge. It is a tool that you can add to your repertoire of other things mm-hmm. um, and I think that's true with you know plenty of things but and you know even with the sous vide there is technique with the sous vide you don't just buy a sous vide and then all of a sudden you can cook like a master chef you still you know when I bought the thing yeah uh, is actually 
a gift. Um, As they are. I don't know a single person that's bought their own. I know a couple people. Okay. Yeah. Um, But they they make great gifts. Uh, Use use code JordanGold and you're buying from Sirletop. Get some some back-end points, maybe. Is that a thing? I don't know. Uh, I'm just always trying to get the points yeah. in Los Angeles. This going. episode is always sponsored by 90H2O and yeah. sous vide. Um, the, so the sous vide, I bought it. I got it. I got it as a gift. And the first thing I did was call my chef friends and go, hey, how do I use this? You yeah. know, it's like getting a really fancy stove. You know, It's actually not as good as a fancy stove because... Fancy stoves these days have like buttons for turkey. Just push the turkey button. This doesn't. This just has temperatures. And you still have to know how to do it, how to treat it, and you need other tools for it. It does make it much easier. But there's simple things like cooking an egg, right? That once you know how to do these things, it seems so simple. You have the information. Um, a good example of that, going back to bartending is making perfectly crystal clear ice, which is one of the most important things, uh, one of the most important ingredients in any cocktail is water um, and temperature. I mean, every single cocktail, if you look at any cocktail, they all share the same ingredient, which is water and ice. I mean, it's it's in every single cocktail except for room temperature cocktails, which are terrible. Um, That's just my opinion. Uh, but going back to the water sommelier thing, okay, you can say, oh, look, water's bullshit, but to some degree, it's not. And um, perfectly clear ice, while also being uh, aesthetically beautiful and magical in its own way, like if you have the right kind of glassware and you have an old-fashioned, you have a big rock of perfectly clear ice, you can look through your drink, under, like, through the table, through your through your hand at the the floor, whatever it is, it's like a little window. It's kind of amazing to uh, to look through the bottom of your glass like that. Um, it took me two years to learn how to make perfectly clear ice because the information did not exist. There were only a select few people in the world that knew how to do this. You know, like all ice sculptors know how to make perfectly clear ice. They they use chemicals. Some some of them. But making perfectly clear, clear drinking ice was, you know, for for the longest time, you pretty much had to get a you know, $10,000 machine mm-hmm. to do that. How do you do it? Here's how you make perfectly clear ice. Uh, well, how, what, do you know what cloudiness is in ice? Yeah, it's the amount of tiny air particulates that are within the frozen water. It's air bubbles. Yeah. yeah. But when I was trying to find that out, there was a million answers. There was air bubbles, there's impurities, there's minerals, there's all these weird... Okay, well... Anything that could be in water. You First of all, you have to start out with what is it, and second of all, once you know what it is, how do you get it out? Yeah. If it's impurities, how do you get that out? Well, you distill it. Yeah. Okay, well, distilled water still makes cloudy ice, so what, what the hell is going on? Yeah. So, to make perfectly clear ice, you have to freeze it directionally. Because if you freeze it in a normal freezer, in an ice cube tray, it freezes from all six sides equilaterally. And the um, I'm making a box with my hands right now. <laughs> and the air gets trapped, and it starts going away from the sides and towards the middle. And you get this cloudy middle, which it looks terrible. And yeah. also, when it starts melting, well, 
that's all air. So it's the opposite of being cooked by a sous vide. Exactly. It's the perfect opposite. Yeah. So what you want to do is get like a cooler, like a little lunchbox cooler, take the lid off, and fill that with water. And what happens is all five sides of uh, the water are going to be insulated except for the top where the lid has been removed. And that's where it freezes from. Just the top down, and, it, and now I'm, I'm making a vertical movement with my hand. It freezes from the top down, and all the air bubbles, instead of getting pushed to the center, get pushed towards the bottom. And you end up with 75% of a perfectly clear block of ice. 25% is all the air bubbles, which you can chip off with an, of the knife pretty easily, or you can just whack them with a rolling pin. And you have perfectly clear ice. It's that simple. It's easy. You could make, anyone could make it. All you need is a cooler and enough freezer space to put the whole cooler in. And in 48 hours, you know, takes a little longer than normal, this big block ice, you have perfectly clear ice, so simple. Wow. But that was information that for the longest time was not available, and then a couple people figured it out. A couple blog posts later, Everybody now the whole world knows. Yeah. That information two years ago was nowhere. And now it's all over the internet. If you Google clear ice, you can figure out how to make it. There are 14-year-olds making YouTube video tutorials about it. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. And um, <laughs> For their cocktail blocks. <laughs> so even these things that seem so simple, um, especially to people that have it figured out, aren't that simple. Yeah. And, and, you know, like chefs, right? you're a professional chef, you know how to cook an egg. You know how to do that. You learn that. You learn these techniques. As a magician and as magicians, we there's this whole library of tools that we have at our disposal that it's kind of difficult once you get to a certain level to to really step all the way back and, and look at what exactly do you need? Like, what are the building blocks? Where do you start from? Right? Yeah. Because, for, at least for me personally... I learned from everywhere. I learned from books in the library. I learned from DVDs that I got at magic shops. I learned from the guy who ran the magic shop, uh, Joe at Misdirections Magic Shop in San Francisco. Uh, I highly recommend you check it out. It's the best magic shop in the country. Um, and this episode's learned, brought to you by <laughs> brought to you by Joe at Misdirections Magic Shop, Misdirections.com. Um, Use coupon code Jordan. I learned too. from lectures that came through San Francisco. I learned from other magicians that I met in school. I learned from every single possible outlet. I learned from coming to the Magic Castle and meeting other magicians. I learned from coming up with my own ideas and, and working on that. And it's this hugely comprehensive library. Right? Yeah. Um, I learned from every single person I ever performed for. You know, that's a huge learning experience. You know, I learned from a lot of failures where the trick didn't work or the trick technically worked but it didn't play play the way that I wanted it to or thought it should or normally does and yeah. trying to analyze what was going on and sometimes by actually sitting down and talking to people and just breaking that whole magic spectator barrier and saying hey what's your thoughts about this what are your opinions what stuck out to you asking the right questions asking opinions and um, that's, that's sort of a never ending journey of trying to figure out exactly what all these things are but it's it's difficult to to recreate that for anybody and i think if you look at any magician you know that we all have our own unique um sort of 
uh, stockpiles of, of information that we've amalgamated our, uh, our histories from. Yeah, it's deep when, well, whew, wow. But uh, I think at the end of the day, these things are not complicated and are not out of reach and are not lifelong journeys as much as they are simple things that we just haven't quite figured out 100%. Because usually those are like the most mind-blowing things. I learned how to make oatmeal the other day. Yeah, for the first time? For the first time. After years of failing miserably, trying to make just really good, simple oatmeal. You know, because you can buy the oatmeal product in the store and just pour water in it. That's no good. I learned how to pressure steam things, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Yeah. How do you do that? You put water in a pressure cooker, you put a rack in the pressure cooker, you put your thing in a bowl in the pressure cooker, and then you pressure cook it. Mm -hmm. And instead of actually pressure cooking the food, it pressure steams it. And uh, so your oatmeal, which was in the bowl, was pressure steamed. Pressure steamed. Water and oatmeal in a bowl, sitting on a rack. So water as a liquid never came into contact with the oatmeal. It was the steam. It was the gaseous form. No, there was the the water was uh, the water and the oatmeal came in contact, but the water in contact with the oatmeal was heated by the steam and the pressure. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So there there's that's something that like okay pretty complicated science going on inside the pressure cooker yeah so that's not exactly simple but maybe that's a bad example you can cut all that out but the um, (laughs) the pressure cookers have always been fascinating to me because water boils at a way higher temperature pressure pressure cookers are like magic yeah they are oh my god you're literally manipulating the laws of physics. Yeah, I feel like God every time you know I pressure cook things. Yeah, it's just amazing. I'm also an addict for uh, kitchen appliances, so I buy a lot of this stuff. Yeah, I love cool stuff like that. Yeah, it's been quite the interesting journey we've taken. We've not <laughs> talked about magic almost at all. That's fine. You you're doing a good job of like you know sprinkling it in. You're like a chef. Of I keep trying to bring it back, and then we go off on some tangent. You Don't know? you think I'm like trying to do that? <laughs> I do. Like I you're think. one of the most interesting people that I know. What? Yeah. Oh, thanks for that. You're welcome. Because you know who I know. That should be a huge compliment. <laughs> um, but yeah. You know the most interesting man in the world. Who's that? That Dos, Dos Equis guy. Yeah. I don't know him. Oh, I thought he did. Have you seen the commercial for the new Most Interesting Man in the World? Yeah, it doesn't seem that interesting. <laughs> I don't know what's going on anymore. Oh, I don't either. All right, so you ready to begin the podcast? Oh, we haven't even been recording yet. Oh, perfect. Okay, great. Um, so... You got into bartending? Tell me about that. (laughs) Yes, so I went to school in Indiana. Um, You played the violin, I hear. I played the violin. 
Oh my god, this is I, I hope I hope the traffic is real bad for you listeners because this is this is a train wreck. This is great. Now I'm mixing all different sorts of um, all over the place. Transportation. It's gonna be a lot of editing for you. It's gonna be no editing. It's gonna be um there's a lot of editing. Yeah. How'd you get into puzzles? Oh my god, huge nerd. Okay, so (laughs) it's interesting because we're now what, uh, like seven hours into this podcast and we're now just getting to this. Yeah. Um so I am the only person that has a degree in magic. Have we talked about that? I didn't know that that was a thing. Just getting to that. What happened to you went to just kind of just texted me. Is there from Maui? Shouldn't he be with his lady friend? Is there what? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, from Maui, yeah. No, um, um, (laughs) no, no, I'm all probably should not have uh, gotten drunk drunk. before this bucket. Yeah, Um, no, so hold on, let's go back to the vibe. Let's go back. What happened to that? So I went to Indiana University for music. Yeah. For violin performance. While I was there at orientation, day one of being on campus, I was told, hey, you know, because I'm I'm a magician, right? So I can't show up and not do magic for people. This is what I do. Everyone's literally literally couldn't be done. Yes. Couldn't spend a single interaction without whipping out a magic trick at least five minutes into the. Yeah. So I'm at, uh, especially college and orientation, trying to make friends, I'm doing card tricks. Yeah. And somebody goes, hey, you're a magician. That's awesome. Did you know that there was this guy named Will Shorts and he majored in magic? Or majored in puzzles. It's the drinking. Uh, there's made, a guy named Will Shorts who majored in puzzles, enigmatology, back in the 70s. Yeah. You should know about this. And it was this information that like went into my brain and then immediately went out. I'm like, oh, okay, cool. I just didn't, it didn't register for two years. Yeah. And I kept hearing from people, oh my god, you're a magician. There's a guy who actually majored in puzzles. Okay. Didn't, didn't register. And then two years later, like really deep into music theory, realizing I hate studying music theory because it's really hard. Um, so hard. It's so hard. It's so oh hard. my god, it was so hard. Uh, I'm studying music theory and I go, wait a minute, maybe I could be doing something else. You know, other than studying music theory. And I really looked into that Will Schwartz guy. And it turns out there's a thing called the Individualized Major Program at Indiana University that he made his own major in enigmatology, the study of games and puzzles in 1972, three, I think he graduated. Um, so I found their office. Huge university, 30,000 undergrads, tiny little office, two people working in it. And I found it uh, in one of the biggest halls on campus. And I walked in, I said, hi, uh, my name's Jordan. I'm thinking about majoring in magic. And they said, okay, well, we don't offer classes in magic. um, So I don't really know how that would work. So yeah, but magic isn't really, I mean, it's not really its own skill. It's sort of made up of a bunch of different skills. Involves psychology, which a psychology school. It involves theater. There's a theater school. Math. Making a living at it. It's business. a business. There's a business school. Yeah. There's all these classes here. There's literature. There's culture. There's 
all sorts of things that are relevant to magic as a whole um, other than just learning how the tricks are done because I know a lot of tricks you know and there's lots of books out there uh, I can learn you know how to cut a lady in half there's plenty of methods out there yeah I don't need to study that at a university yeah um, and that was really interesting to them because the the core of the individualized major is really drawing on the different schools within the university to create something greater than the sum of its parts, right? Yeah. Um, and so they said, okay, well, you have to go and find a, uh, a sponsor, a faculty sponsor. So you went to? So I happen to be taking French horn, of all things, for one semester. I was dating an opera singer in freshman year. Is this not the New York girl? This is a different opera singer. The New York girl was also an opera singer. So you have a type. <laughs> I dated all of the opera singers I'm ever going to date in college. Okay. And uh, that, was, that was enough opera singers for me. Let's put okay. it that way. Sure. So she was kind of miffed at the fact that she found out I had better lung capacity than she did. And I was a violinist. Yeah. Because um, uh, we did the breathing exercises she said okay take as big a breath as you can and then blow a really tiny stream of air out and and see how long you can make that last and i'm I was intimately like, familiar with that exercise yeah. yeah so i was pretty good at that exercise yeah um more so than i should have been as a completely untrained singer and or uh, musician yeah and because of that and because of the fact that my brother was a french horn player i thought maybe there's something to this. I'm gonna take a French horn for a semester just for kicks. Because yeah. who knows? Maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a virtuoso in disguise, and I, I just don't know it. You know, yeah. I wasn't. Um, I was pretty good at French horn for for you know being pretty new at it. But yeah, uh, I took up French horn. That's what all new French horn players think. That's what they all think. <laughs> they all all French horn players think they're the greatest French horn players. I took up French horn for a semester. And on day one, lesson one, I was studying with a grad student. And we were just talking, you know, about well, why I was taking horn and what I wanted to learn and get to know. And, and I told her, yeah, I'm a magician. She goes, that's amazing. My teacher, my professor, um, his name is Jeff. He's also a magician. And I said, no way. That's crazy that your teacher is a magician. At that exact moment in time, Jeff happened to be walking by the practice rooms and knew that his student was giving a lesson and decided, I'm going to pop in and see how things are going. So This is what I'm talking about, Jordan. This was right time in the right place. I happened to take a French horn. She happened to say my, my professor is a magician. And he burst into the room at that exact moment and said, hey, hi, my name's Jeff. Just checking in. And she goes, oh, my God, the, Jeff this is Jordan he's a magician and Jeff goes no way that's amazing and that was, was like that was history kind of yeah. um, from that moment on Jeff became my sponsor yeah. for my major and um, he became a really big part of uh, not just my my studies and my major in magic but just my whole life um, and his philosophy is sort of fearless performing right the idea of like we talked about earlier, being a French horn player, you have to be able to come in and be like hit those you have notes. You know you're going to be right. You have to know you're going to be right. And if you think you're going to mess up, you're going to mess up. So you yeah. have to know, you know, 
that you're going to do it. And yeah. fearless is something that goes on beyond just being a French horn player. It also goes into everyday life and the idea that we're all performing constantly and also being a magician. Yes. So it was this whole theory, this whole way of thinking and looking at things differently. Um, and I was able to actually take all this music theory that at the beginning I hated, uh, music theory, terrible, and kind of look at it more as performance theory. And it applied directly to magic. Not even kind of or sort of, or maybe I could make a connection to yeah. get through the bureaucratic system and you know have them give me credit. No, it was actually the most important thing I ever learned was how to be a fearless performer mm -hmm. and how to practice for auditions and for recitals and performances and shows. And so that was sort of the beginning of my magic major. Then jump ahead a couple months, and Will Shorts was coming to visit Indiana University. And he showed up, and it was a little mixer with him, the independent uh, study students. And everyone was so afraid to talk to him because, oh my God, it's Will Shorts. He's like famous. You know, he's like the guy that edits all the New York Times crossword puzzles. And so pretty much everyone came up and they had a copy of the New York Times and got them to sign it. Yeah. And that was it. And I was the only person in that room that's like, I'm going to talk to this guy. You know? And we talked about magic and we talked about puzzles and their connection. And um, sort of the idea that puzzles are kind of like magic, except that magic's designed not to be figured out. And puzzles are designed to be figured out. You know, yeah. There's some hidden thing going on here, but it's for you to actually discover. And when people figure out magic as if it's a puzzle, we magicians, are, we don't really like that. We're like, yeah, you may have figured it out, but I'm not gonna tell you you're, you're right. Yeah. Um, and he invited me to this invitation-only event called the, the Gathering for Gardner, mm -hmm. which is about Martin Gardner, who yes. was a uh, journalist for many years. He wrote for Scientific American about three about many things but his three loves were magic puzzles and recreational mathematics which is kind of a scary sounding topic if you don't know what it means yeah but it's sort of the uh the underlying math behind a lot of our our world um for instance there's something called the fibonacci sequence you can google it well there'll be links zero we'll one send one you two links. three five eight so yeah Exactly. Um, which is which is a direct correlation to the golden ratio. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Uh, but the recreational part of that is figuring out things like, well, in nature, pine cones, the way they grow, if you map out their, their patterns, are actually yeah. in a Fibonacci spiral. If you've ever watched an Apple commercial, you know what we're talking about. Exactly. The rose and the... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Nobody knows what we're talking about. The, so, the Nautilus sphere. Yeah. Well, it just turns out that it's a, uh, it's efficient in nature because if you look at this Fibonacci spiral from a non-mathematical standpoint, it's uh, it's a way for every single part of the pine cone to be exposed to sunlight. Yeah. Or plants that are growing that can be exposed to sunlight. It's it's just efficient. Yeah. But there's this underlying beautiful math that's going on as well. So that's the recreational side of it, is applying these like, really heavy math to sort of novel things. Um, and the gathering was 
puzzlers, magicians, mathematicians coming together to celebrate these things. Um, Martin was a, a couple of the early ones, but was a very sort of private guy, didn't like big crowds, and so and he didn't really travel a lot. So um, it was more about the th- the the things that Martin inspired and wrote about, rather than Martin himself as a as a person. Um, but at the first one, I met uh, Ian Rowland, who is this amazing mentalist and magician. Is this the first one, or is this the first one you went this to? This is the first one I went to. This okay. The first one I went to was the eighth one, G4G8. They happen every two years. So this was the 16th year they had done it. Um, I met Pitt Hartling there and Thomas Fraps, who were doing their act. Uh, I met Leonard Green, um, really phenomenal magicians. Uh, and then a bunch of mathematicians and puzzlers doing what seemed like real magic to me. I mean, there was um, somebody who had figured out how to cut bagels in a way that instead of two halves of of a bagel, uh, the way you normally cut a bagel, it was two halves that were both Mobius strips that were linked together just through cuts. I remember you telling me about, or telling someone else about this last night at Brooklyn. Yeah. That's, let's just cut a bagel into two impossible objects that are linked together. Yep, pretty much. Yeah. Um, so there'll be a link to that in the, um, in the description. <laughs> Why do you look so mad? Go to EinsteinBrothers.com slash Jordan Gold to get Oh my god, here. Einstein Brothers should have Mobius bagels in all their <laughs> shops. It'd be perfect for their branding. Yeah. Maybe I can just sell that idea to them. I want um, residuals. Uh, you know, done. Use, use coupon code Magical Sweet. Thinking Podcast. Right. We'll shake on it. So um, I, I ended up going to these, and I, you know, I called my dad, who's a um, engineer, worked for Lockheed Martin and Autodesk, and uh, is very mathematically inclined. And I said, "Hey, Dad, there's this thing it's called the Gathering. I don't know if you would want to go. It's in Atlanta. I got invited. I don't know. It's not. I don't know." And he looked at it and he's like, oh my God, you know, all my professors from Stanford University are there, you know, so we have to go. And it became this fun thing. And I've been going to all of them since um, for the last like 10 years or so. And uh, that is sort of where my uh, real love of puzzles came about. Mm-hmm. Um, and I realized that Martin Gardner... Um, isn't somebody that I spent much time as a magician thinking about. I didn't grow up reading Scientific American. I didn't read any of his books. I mean, some magicians are familiar with his pamphlets or impromptu, uh, his Encyclopedia of Impromptu Magic. Which is great, by the way. Amazing book. Oh, my God. So many fun gags and quick tricks. Just one of those books you can open up to any page and just be blown away by the stuff that's in there. Yeah. But I do several gags from that book. What? Oh, which ones? Uh, the the cigar one where it's in your mouth and you go to grab your nose, and then you like realize that you grabbed your nose and then you take the cigar as if no one's watching. It's one. Of, it's one Classic. of my all time favorite gags. Yeah. it's so good. Anyway, go ahead. If only we were smoking cigars right now. Yeah. So the, there's one where you eat a candle. That's one of my favorites. You core an apple and then you put an almond wick in it, and you can light the almond wick. And you come out on stage, it looks like you're holding a candle, and then you just eat it. That's true. That's the effect. <laughs> I've never seen anyone do it. I, I shouldn't really bring that one back. Um, you should. I feel like it would be good for 
There's a couple of people. Um, <laughs> but what I realized is that Martin Gardner, uh, whether you like it or not, as a magician, it has been a tremendous, if not the most important influence of anybody, I think, in magic. Because all of the beginner books, um, one of my earliest things was Jaw Droppers with Larry Anderson. Great set of tapes. I recommend them highly. Um, but, but all those sort of, you know, old hat, hack, not hack, but like just old tricks that have you know, quote unquote, been around forever or that old thing or the yeah. things that just seem like they've always been around. A lot of them, if not the majority of them, were published originally by Martin Gardner. And he wasn't the one that created them all. I mean, he was, as he always fancied himself a journalist among, uh, over anything else. And he had a lot of people who would bring him things, but he was really good at taking complicated ideas and writing about them in a way that was very accessible. And he brought a lot of the magic that has inspired um, a whole host of magicians from early on um, was stuff that he published. And I kind of just felt this strange connection with him where he realized I had learned all these tricks that were things that he put out there without ever knowing his name and that was kind of a freaky moment for me like realizing how influential he had been um, without my knowledge of it so mm-hmm. ever since then I've sort of been spreading the gospel of Martin Gardner and you know trying to get people to realize that these things do have origins and that he he really was um, a really important figure in magic that you know, he never really wanted fame and recognition. He wasn't that type of person, but I think he deserves a little bit more of our attention than than we give him credit for. Because yeah. these things kind of get republished, and over the years, and there's a lot of names out there of people that you think, oh, well, this person published this trick. It's like, okay, the trick's been around for a lot longer than that. Um, but ever since then, uh, the, my sort of connection with puzzles and magic has been uh, pretty big. And puzzles are kind of a difficult thing, especially being a, a, a professional magician, because you know, for real audiences, uh, puzzles have a very unique um, audience, I guess you could say. Um, but puzzles are really making a big come back in a way um you know for for a while there's the 15 puzzle um you're i'm sure everyone's familiar with that it's the it's four to 15 by not 15 uh five by five grid right it's five by five right it should be no that's 25 yeah four by four is 16 yeah sorry four by four grid edit that we gotta that part we're gonna edit out yeah the 15 puzzle is a 4x4 grid, um, and it's that 16 spaces plus the space f- to move things around in. Um, and drop some cards. Let me just shuffle the rest of them. Fifteen puzzle. Fifteen puzzle. The fifteen puzzle was a big. It was a big fad for a while. The fifteen puzzle. And what people don't realize is the the later versions of the fifteen puzzle locked. So the pieces were all connected. You couldn't take any of the pieces out. But the original 
15 by 15 were uh, pieces that you would dump out of the tray and then place them back in a random order and then try and solve the 15, uh, put them all in order 1 through 15 by sliding the pieces around. Um, but in that original puzzle, only about 50% of the time was it fully solvable. You would get to the end and 13, 14, 15 wouldn't always line up perfectly. And so anytime people tried to dump this out and put it back and solve it, it wasn't solvable entirely always and nobody knew that. So it drove people crazy because you know, you'd have marriages where one person would be able to solve it and the other person wouldn't be able to solve it when they tried it. It was pretty great. Yeah. So that Which was, is why it now locks in. And yeah, now it locks. slide it yeah. to... Makes now you can do it. So that was um, that was a huge puzzle fad craze, and then obviously the Rubik's cube was another one. Um, yeah. But now we have like escape rooms. You know, people are going out and spending twenty, thirty, forty dollars per experience for for an hour to go in a escape a room. A life size puzzle. Yeah, and try and get out and do a bunch of puzzles. So the um, a lot of the stuff that kind of was niche for a while, you know, magic included, magic puzzles, um, all the just being a nerd is cool now. Being a nerd is cool, yeah. so it's it's kind of it's a good time to be into all these things. It's also, I feel like, you know, we're hitting that point that's like peak. We're not. I mean, we're not there yet. Um, there's the nerd bubble is going to pop, is what you're saying? No, I'm saying we're hitting peak technology, and people are oh, getting okay. to the point where they want to turn off. You know, we're constantly connected to technology. And so, like we have the early adopters for technology, we're at the point where we're starting to have early adopters for analog downtime. Yeah. I had, so I did a, um, performed at an event, and it was like a, re- it was a small, intimate party, 16 people for like a 70, no, it wasn't. A, it's like a 65-year anniversary, something crazy. How much you get paid? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> you know, it was a low-paying gig. It was a couple thousand, something like that. Yeah, so, okay. but whatever it was. Um, slumming it. <laughs> slumming it. Um, no, the point was, at the end, it was this long table. And I basically, it was one hour of magic, and I kind of did two 30-minute sets, right? For one end of the table, I did a little show, and then I did the same show for the other end of the table. And... At the very end, there was this kid who was like 16, 15, 16, and he's sitting on his phone. And as I approached him, I just thought, like, oh God, this isn't this isn't gonna work, you know? He's in his phone. He's all he's a millennial. He's in his I'm a I'm, I'm, yeah, but he's yeah. he's like all in his phone. He's not gonna want to see a magic. And as soon as the card started, his he just put his phone down. Like, not even, like, looked up from the phone, but actually turned the phone off and put it away and was completely enamored with, oh, my God, there's something happening mm-hmm. live in front of Dude, me. I'm having an experience. Yeah. yeah. For, because I think that as much as we're addicted to technology, we're we're just looking for something. I mean, yeah. I, I can't tell you how many people, myself included, just scroll through Facebook looking for... Something you know, Facebook, Instagram, Facebook, yeah, well, Instagram, yeah, Facebook. Just, you know, how many times have you opened your phone and just swiped around going, what, what can I open that's going to entertain me right now? Constantly, you know? 
all the time. You just end up back on Facebook, just scrolling and scrolling, hoping to find something worth. Or you're in your own photo albums, just being like, "What memories can I yeah. remember?" Looking back, like, "Oh yeah, there's that time nostalgia I, I right now." You know, I stayed up at that bar till seven in the morning, and then it was light time outside. Um, it was light time it outside. It was light time outside. Light times. It's light daytime, but it's not quite daytime. Okay. It's still morning, but it's light. Light morning. Dawn. Yeah. Light time. Light. Okay. So, seeing. We should I probably mean, start this podcast. Again. Yeah, we. Uh, I'm ready to start. Feeling pretty good. A couple yeah. more glasses of sake will be good. Warmed up. Uh, yeah, there's a perfect. Let's turn on a little bit of AC. Let me just, I'll just shuffle these cards up here. This this episode is a complete clusterfuck. <laughs> this might just be practice for tomorrow's episode. Yeah. Where I come back and we actually do the episode. Yeah. That'd be fun. Okay. I'm, I'm totally fine just uh, erasing this episode and then uh, starting over. No, we're going to do, if we, if we do do it over, which we're not going to, but if we did, we would publish both of them back. Oh, back. man. <laughs> Here's version, here's podcast 2.0. Podcast 2.0. It'd be perfect. That'd be hilarious. We would release podcast 2.0 when we release Magic By the way, just listen to my one-handed top palm. Did you hear that? Yes. I did. I don't know if the mic picked it up. Oh, it's just, it's so quiet. Yeah, it sounds good. I'll do it again. Mm, uh, soft. Ooh. It's good. What were we talking about before the We were talking about um, 2.0 and no, that. Uh, we were talking about uh, having real experiences instead oh, of yeah. looking yeah. at your technology phones. So yeah, I you know, I think that there was there's this big fear, especially in the uh, older people who don't know what YouTube is and are scared of it. There's this big fear that, you know, YouTube is gonna kill magic, right? And I think to some degree there there's more exposure now than there has ever been because you have these people that are you know there are the, there are the people out there who are making um, videos and they have their own channels and all that and that's great it's fine doing magic on the street whatever you have you know, people trying to be the next David Blaine or whatever it is on YouTube but then there are people who just are exposing things that, hey here's my learn card tricks channel the hell is that you know just giving away card uh just giving away magic technique and tricks for views mm-hmm. and you know you look at that and you go i don't understand there, there's so much exposure going on um but it's still you know I, I work professionally doing close-up magic for events and i can still do ambitious card and i can still do crazy man's handcuffs and as much as I try and get away from these tricks and, and do things that are a little more unique, it amazes me that there's still people that haven't seen these things. Yeah. You know, it, there's, as much as we think everything's been exposed and done, and even if it's not been exposed, it's just been done on TV by every famous magician, Yeah, it's still... There are people who, who haven't seen these things. As much as this kid's video has... 80,000 views or 500,000 views there's 350 million people in this country yeah 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 so there's people don't know yeah they don't know so magic I don't think is dead yet and um I mean it seems to be getting bigger and hopefully 
it won't uh, won't go anywhere. But I think that there's. I don't think magic is going to die. Um, I think that there's a fear. I think certain things will die. I think that um, you know the Dan Harlan's cartoon was done by that guy in, uh, on Britain's Got Talent. And I noticed when I went out, that was a trick I used to do. You know, it's a, it's a great trick. Yeah. Even though it's a dealer trick and all that, it's for real people. It is a amazing, amazing trick, um, which is why it did so well on... Uh, on Britain's Got Talent. And it, yeah. it got, you know, it got shared around the world because everyone went, oh my God. But... That was one trick that you know. I'm sure everybody listening had a friend or family member. Oh, I'm ask about sure it. everyone. I does. had several. Yeah. I took that one out, and um, I had a couple people at actual paying gigs go, "Oh, it's, I think I've seen this on the internet." And so I think for very specific tricks like cartoon, where you know, if you've seen it, you've seen it, or like Bolorama is a good example of a very specific trick. Yeah. Um, those get exposed um, either through direct exposure just becoming popular online but they ultimately fade away you know we go through magic fads pen through dollar you know whatever yeah. 10 years ago was the hottest trick everyone was doing it it was everywhere people were seeing it no one does that trick anymore you know yeah. it's a great trick it still fools people especially if you perform it well so you can really kind of get away with doing a lot of these tricks. Um, I think ultimately it, it comes down to to being a good performer, choosing things that work well for you as a performer. Yeah. How do you create your own material? I think you have great material and you consistently and constantly fool me with stuff that you've come up with. Well, thank you. Um, that's very flattering. Um, creating your own material doesn't mean it's good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what's the metric on that? You know. Um, for me, it's you. You have to start with something. You, you can't just go from zero to original. You can't hide. You know. You can't hide. You can't do it. You have to start somewhere. Um. Initially, you know, I, look, I learned David Roth's Coins Across years ago. And for the longest time, I did David Roth's Coins Across exactly, you know, the way that he did it and taught it and everything about it. And then I started learning other people's versions of it. And then I was like, okay, there's different methods. There's all sorts of things out there. And then eventually, years later, I found myself behind a bar and using silver dollars wasn't it was kind of a weird thing to pull out of the bar you know because I was at a this was at the the LACMA bar I'm outside it's a yeah. it's daytime why do I have silver dollars it just doesn't doesn't really compute but I did have cucumber slices and I started doing coin magic with slices of cucumbers because they were the same size and shape and I could do all the same moves but all of a sudden I had this thing that was totally organic literally and literally yeah. literally organic <laughs> no they weren't organic cucumbers they were um just all well the skin is too thick full they don't need of to GMOs, be. yeah uh and don't even get me started on that that tweak that little tweak of just taking something in context yeah changed everything 
it was the smallest change and the hugest improvement. And that's sort of when I started realizing, um, just thinking a little bit more about context and about where these things are coming from. So, you know, you're up the Magic Castle, you're wearing a suit, wearing a tie, you pull out silver dollars, great, all right, we're gonna see a magician, this is cool, I wanna see silver dollars. Pull out cucumber slices, wearing a suit and tie, what the hell are you doing? You know, it doesn't matter. You can spend all day talking about how these were your grandmother's cucumber slices and how they're meaningful to you. You've been carrying around them in a little coin purse, a cucumber purse. Uh, I don't care. You know, I think that when I was a bartender and I did magic with cucumber slices, I never had to justify or explain what they were. And there was a sort of beauty in that um, because everyone, everyone got it. And I think that, uh, it doesn't mean that everything has to, you know, come from your environment. It doesn't mean you go to a show and then you find, you know, the, the extreme other example of that is, uh, you know, certain TV magicians who have, you know, done like rope through neck and gone, uh, oh, let's just find this random chain on a dumpster. It's like, okay, you know, you didn't just find a chain on a dumpster that was just there. That's a little too... On the nose. On the on the nose and on the other spectrum of it. But it it began the process of really thinking about what I was using and the tools and and the changes that I could make to the magic that I was doing to make them a little uh, more conducive to whatever it was. Yeah. And I think the important thing is understanding where you are who you're performing for and what it is that you're trying to relay. Uh, for example, I went to Magic Live. There's a bunch of magicians. I want to do something cool for magicians. Uh, you know, I want them to experience magic the same way that people who aren't magicians experience when I perform for them. And so I ended up um, trading out rubber bands for um adult toys we'll put it that way which were completely out of context and funny but in vegas and it makes sense when there's an adult super center on every corner it was this thing where it's like hey here's this rubber band trick and then transforms into something completely different yeah and it it was a huge success you know yes and that that wasn't me sitting down and going you know it'd be funny if that was um just something that kind of came about as a funny thought, you know, hey, maybe this this might be kind of funny to to do this, or we'll see if this works. I and know somebody that this would really think is funny, so I'm going to do this for them. Or, you know, hey, this is just so off the wall. Yeah. I'm going to try this, and we'll see how it goes. And it turned out it was a huge success. You know, yeah. it was one of those things that people go, oh, my God, you have to show this person, this person, this person. So... I think that so much so that you, it broke. As a magician, you kind of you have to fail if yeah. you want to be good. Yeah. And I think that if you ask ten out of ten magicians, a hundred out of hundred magicians, there's not a single one of them who just went, "Yeah, well, I had an idea and I put it together and it's perfect." There's maybe some ideas that you that come to you and you can visualize them and you can put them together and they work the way that you envision them. But there's always going to be tweaks. You yeah. know, you talk to him. You look, talk to Homer about Copperfield. Like, yeah. the, he, he's there. You go. He's Copperfield. Yeah. And they're constantly, constantly. every single day, yeah. he's changing the show, and he's been doing the show for 
how long now? You know, it's yeah. and he's constantly improving it. Yeah, and that's why he's the greatest magician in the world. There you go. Well, there's many reasons. It's been great having you, George. <laughs> Thanks so much. We didn't even start. No, go ahead. Ready to start the podcast. So, yeah. you know, I was, uh, I was born in 1987. Okay. Uh, but yeah, it, it, you have to fail. And yeah. failing sucks. And one of the most interesting pieces of advice uh, that I got from a magician named Jim Keplinger, who is known too few <laughs> in the magic world uh, but he's a really great magician in Indiana that I met through IU um, was that you have to have a place to fail and one of the things that I uh, that what's I, like open mics for stand-ups yeah go ahead um, I, you know I see people come to the castle and the the magic castle is a really difficult place to figure out what it is that you're doing because it's easy to fail in front of people that don't know who you are and don't care and will not remember. But, and we'll never see you again. And we'll never see you again. But to to show up among, you know, magicians and peers in a place where anybody might be there on any given day, including, you know, Johnny Thompson and Cyril and Mike Caveney and, you know, Jim Steinmeier. Yeah. They could be watching and lurking Titans in the corners at any be, moment. Yeah. And that's a difficult place to be trying to figure out what it is you want to be doing. Um, and it, it's not good to have an environment where you're afraid to fail. You have to have places that, that encourage you to fail. Yeah. You know? Which is why I love performing for non-magicians and real people a lot when I'm working on material because I love when things don't go right. I learned so much more. It's a huge opportunity. Yeah. And I, I, I've never felt bad about messing up in front of uh, a lay person or a regular person, non-magician. Because I just, it, it make it, it feeds me as far as like wanting to figure out how to make things better. Failing in front of real people just makes me go, ah, how do I, how do I fix this? How do I make this better? Yeah. And I get excited. When I fail in front of magicians, I just feel terrible. Yeah. It, it has the inverse effect, which is why the magic I, I do for magicians is completely different than the magic I do for you know, real people. I yeah. call them real people. Magicians yeah, because they people. are real people. They are real people. Yeah, uh, yeah I do... I try and do, like, funny, interesting, different magic or, you know, techniques that mimic techniques magicians are familiar with, but are actually doing something completely different because I love fooling magicians. Yeah. I think it brings me greater joy than fooling magicians. Like you. Yeah. I love fooling you. You fool me so often. It hurts me. <laughs> and I, I'm, I'm a generous fooled person because it's not easy to fool me, but when you do, I just love it. I eat it up and you fool me consistently. I like it a lot. It's fun to be fooled. Yes, it is. It's really fun to be fooled. And it gets harder and harder to get fooled. It's also fun to not be told how something works immediately. So that was something I learned from Dean Doe. Um, and, oh, man, I miss Dean so much. I feel like I never, I didn't get as much time uh, as, as I wanted. I mean, uh, that's nobody sure. does, right? Yeah. But, but I met Dean um, 
a couple years ago and I was hanging out at his shop not nearly enough as I should have been and he fooled me more than just about any other magician I've ever met I mean but not like oh I don't know how that was then like really fooled me like really like shook your head like, real hard like it hurt yeah. yeah like down in your stomach you kind of want to like lean over and get sick kind of getting fooled because yeah. he was so good at thinking of things in this particular way but also just presenting himself as this like you know kind of like oh, so, I'm just Dean this I'm old just guy I'm just kind of let me just walk, hobble over to your table and he never seemed like he was doing anything devious yeah and he would just destroy your brain and I'd sit and just get fooled one thing after another and and Dean was always you know always super nice he would never say oh I can't tell you that it's it's a secret it's my thing or not I, I can't share it he would say I'd be happy to share that with you but I just fooled you and I want you to sort of I want you to to internalize it you know f- to sit with it and really think about it you know take the experience you just had go away and just live with that for a week come back to me next week and we can talk about it and yeah. maybe I'll show you how it's done yeah. you know, or, or you can buy it from me uh, but that there's so few magicians that uh, I've met that have that sensibility I'm guilty of it I will share things immediately it's well it's so rewarding to kind of share things you know and I was talking with Jason Ladani about this yesterday and he's the other podcast I'm recording the reason that I'm into scotch and food and wine and fashion is because I want to share the experience that I have getting something more out of something everybody does with other people. And it's the same thing for magic. When I show a magician something, if I fool somebody really hard, I'm not going to tell them because I do mm-hmm. want to. But if they don't know how it works and they're like, oh man, that's really cool, I'm going to be like, you know, I immediately am just like, yeah, okay, it's so cool. Let me show you how it works. Because I want to share that experience. I want other people to be able to do what I do. And yeah, maybe that's not good. <laughs> well, I think that ma- magicians. Um, you also kind of have to gauge who you're. Dealing I don't know with if it's ironically or what what the deal is, but magicians, you would think, are the are the people that would be the best at keeping secrets. But yeah. we're actually not yeah. because at our cores we are doing magic because we want attention or acceptance or it's fulfilling some sort of need in most of us yeah and you know we we can keep a secret from lay people you know to preserve the trick but we will reveal it to each other and there's so many magicians that that just you know feel entitled to secrets yeah and and have no ability to really hold on to a secret. Not like, oh, I'm not going to tell you how this was done, but really hold a secret. Like, I know something that I'm not going to tell anybody. Yeah. Because it's hard to do that. Um, and it it's more fun. Like, even if you're not telling to... the secret, you want people to know you have a secret. Yes, yes. Because... Yeah. There's this idea that you want to FOMO. be, you want everyone to, 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 especially Facebook, right? What's the whole point of Facebook is everyone should know how great my life is right now. Yeah. So 
It's I, all a sort of performance. There are tools that I have been fortunate enough to come across and to be able to use and to have in my possession. Like sous vide. Like, like sous vide for magic. I have magic sous vide, and I won't really discuss what they are. There are certain things that I, um, you know, I, I have both for the collectible aspects, but also for the practical aspects. I can make things with them that I see other people, you know, these are rare objects that aren't really out there. And I see people posting them on Instagram. I'm like, really? You know, that you're going to take this this secret, this thing that few people know about and even fewer people have actually seen and you're going to photograph them and you're going to share them on Instagram. Why? Yeah. Because for a couple of likes, for a couple of clicks, for the the idea that, ooh, you know, 20 people said that they like this. It just, it's sad to me, you know? And um, I love fooling magicians and just letting them live with that. Yeah. Because it's something that we don't get to experience very often. It's very easy for us to get jaded as magicians and yeah. think that we know everything, and we don't. Yeah. I mean, there's so much that we don't know. Most magicians don't know how to cook an egg. It's 63 degrees Celsius at 45 minutes exactly for a perfect poached egg. Oh, shit. I just revealed that secret. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, that's not a secret. But it's... It's, well, it's like anything. All the information's there. The thing is that the less that we keep secrets, the less uh, anyone's going to respect keeping secrets. And the, the I've, I've seen people, uh, more specifically, I've seen seven, eight, nine-year-olds who are doing crazy man's handcuffs. And that, at one point, was a trick that was good enough for Copperfield to do on TV. And it's... Because it uses rubber bands, it's simple. It's seemingly simple. Um, you know, people are teaching it to kids, and I'm like blown away because it's something. It's one of those tricks where done really well with a lot of practice and the right touches, it's incredibly deceptive. So much so that the best magicians in the world use it as a professional piece in their repertoire, and to teach it to kids who aren't that serious about magic not that kids should be learning it but to, to teach it as like a hey here's a beginner trick for you mm-hmm. to me is not understanding anything about magic I mean that is that is uh, when I, I well there's a difference between exposure and explanation teaching really helping someone understand well and there's a difference between understanding what what is valued and what is not you know that is a trick that shouldn't just be thrown out in the world sure and it is yeah now I agree yes it's completely overdone Um, but when I had students who wanted to learn that trick um, I made them really work and earn it I said okay um, you're going to learn these other five tricks and until you demonstrate mastery over these you're not going to learn the secret to this this other trick. And um, it's kind of funny because I, I, I do teach it on uh, the art of magic. You for do. For anyone that's interested in it. Um, but I know I think... You're, that, one of the, you're, the, you're the best I've ever seen do it, by the way. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. Really? Yeah. Oh. I haven't seen many people do it, but... Okay, well, I'm the, I'm you're certainly the other... The nobody does it, yeah. It's that old thing. Well, you, but I mean, uh, that's uh, of course where 
playing back and forth because we're friends. But, you know, nobody does do it because it is a hack thing. But it's not hack in your hands because you really have paid attention to it and, and cared well, for it. And that's one it. of those things I fell in, in and out of love with for years. Yeah. You know, it's, when I first learned it, I remember a time when I was trying to figure out how it was done. You know, before I had uh, access to the actual information, I came up with pretty terrible methods for it. You know, switching fingers, and you know, before I watched it again and realized that the methods I was using weren't the methods that you know were being used by the the guys on TV and then over the years I it was one of those things where I see beginners doing it I'm like ah this trick you know it's it's not professional it's not unique and then coming full circle and realizing uh, I can do this for real people and it's really powerful if they haven't seen it mm. but my my different my sort of take on it now is um, if I'm performing for somebody professionally I'll say, hey, have you ever seen magic with a rubber band? Because there's only there's two answers. One is yes, and that means I've seen a magician use rubber bands. 99% of the time it's going to be that trick. Yeah. Because I've also talked to a lot of magicians in my search for all the rubber band magic and get my hands on. Because yeah. I, I, uh, I do love rubber band magic because it's one of the first things I learned and it, it sort of always stuck with me. Um, I ask a bunch of magicians, hey, do you have like a pet rubber band trick that you do or some move or something that's kind of obscure that maybe not a lot of people know uh, in this journey to sort of collect as much in rubber band as stuff as I can find? And the overwhelming answer that I get is, no, I just do crazy man handcuffs. That's all I really do with rubber bands. And that's how I realized this one question, hey, have you ever seen magic with a rubber band? will inform me whether or not people have seen this particular trick. Yeah. And 95, 6% of the time, if not more than that, people say, no, I've never seen magic with a rubber band. Because that's the kind of thing that you would know. Yeah. You know, that's not you, something you'd... It's not forget. something you'd be... Um, maybe it's, it's harder with card tricks because you can't say, hey, have you seen the invisible deck before? I don't know, you know. But, no, it's invisible. <laughs> but then again, card tricks seem the same. You yeah. know, to, they people have a harder time differentiating specific card tricks, yeah. which is one of the reasons you can do a lot of card tricks. You can do ambitious card for people who may have seen it before. They won't realize it's the same card trick. Yeah, this is a different magician. It's slightly different all, all around. Yeah. Um, I only had one guy ever at a party say I actually have seen rubber band magic before and I said I was like shocked it was the first guy that ever answered that question uh, positively yeah. I said well, okay uh, w w what have you seen and he said I I've seen the one where you shoot it and it comes back to you and I was blown away I'm like there's only like three people that I know of on the planet that actually that. perform that trick you know yeah. there's people that have learned it and they, but to have seen it from somebody means that you saw from somebody who's pretty good at it yeah and so i said who do you remember who you saw do that and he goes yeah i do it was joel bauer and i'm like oh that well that makes sense that's like one of the guys that actually really does this trick there's very few people and um so that's kind of a, a that's know, a weird you know thing, it was yeah. a weird thing but i'm like how strange is that that rubber band magic is so like unifying in a way you can kind of 
figure out what people have seen through rubber band magic. Um, but it's it's a question I don't think a lot of magicians would end up asking people because it's it doesn't really go with any sort of magic theory that's out there of it's kind of meta to ask somebody like hey what have you seen before yeah you know what songs have you heard before but i i think it's so important because in their mind they won't remember being asked that question it's such a non-important conversational thing but i get so much information out of it and it because what i don't want is to do the crazy man's handcuffs for somebody that's seen it before yeah and then they go oh, it's just another magician doing this i've seen this trick before and yeah yeah um and it's it's allowed me to really be comfortable performing it for people that i know have not seen it which is most of the people that i've ever met in my life um and they love it they just go crazy. they're they're like this is the greatest thing we've ever seen you know it's a great trick um and just being not afraid to really get good at something like that. You know, yeah. it's it's different because if you're if you're a stage magician, you know, you're doing cruises. I know a lot of cruise directors have seen this Bolorama and they've seen cardiographic. They've seen a lot of the same tricks over and over and over and over. So there is a need to really try and do something more unique. Um, but there's, uh, you know, there's there's still so many people out there in the world that appreciate real live magic, and it's we're we're living the magic bubble. You know, we're so close to this that it's easy to make all these assumptions and get ahead of uh, of the curve by trying to be too unique and too original and out chase all these methods. I mean, if you look at doing a simple coin vanish, the methods out there now are so insane, you know, and like double, triple, quadruple yeah. fooling methods where it's like, oh, I'm doing a retention vanish, but actually I'm doing a spider vanish, but actually it's a fake spider vanish to it's actually a retention. It's like, what, what's going on right now? You know, it's, <laughs> it's like so many uh, false movements to try yeah. and fool, you know, somebody who's familiar with coin magic and you know you watch somebody like Johnny's Palmer and he just does really classic technique and it works because he commits to it and he does it well yeah and you know that's something when when he puts a coin from one hand to the other hand your brain follows it you go okay yeah oh shit the coin's gone what yeah um I mean that being said I do have a lot of crazy coin technique that I'm you know yeah but we all like to play Everything is a time and place. There's a know? context. It comes back to context. Yeah. For whom are you performing? And what experience do you want to give those people? And where are you performing? And what are you trying to, what are you trying to do? Of course. But I found that at least being a close-up magician and working for groups of people rather than focusing on material that's going to play for thousands of people consistently I'm able to really hone in on who is going to be where and getting specific moments because to me I want to fool people really good and I want people to experience what feels like real magic as, as close as possible as you can get and sometimes I make sacrifices or I make choices so that one person will experience something 
that they'll never forget. Yeah. And to me, that's worth it. That doesn't work for everybody. It's not a metric that that will lead to you know financial success over a huge scale. It doesn't necessarily work logistically uh, uh, for if you're doing you know hundreds of shows. Yeah. But it's the kind of thing where you know if I can do, I know I can do good magic. You know I I have card technique and coin technique and there's tons of tricks out there. And if you're a magician that spent any amount of time practicing, you can fool people. You can do good magic, you know. But going that extra step, even if it's for one or two people for one night, that's that's really, at least for me, that's what, what's fulfilling. What brings the joy, you know? yeah. And you know, there's there's things that I've done that are just for you, you know. That I know, hey, you're going to be at this party. I'm going to show up. I'm going to do this thing. It's going to be for Elliot. And oh man, does it does it make you happy? Surprise you know? me. I love yeah, it. it's great. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And maybe it's designed just for you because I know what you like and I know what you think about and I know like how you think a little bit. You yeah. Know? And that's a mitzvah. Yeah. 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 And sometimes there's a little bit of luck and you can sort of make that all work. You know. Yeah. But anytime you can leverage those type of things, uh, go for it. Why not? You know. I love it. I love it. No, everything you said is perfect. <sighs> All right, you want to see how long we've been going? What do you think? What do you? Where do you think we are? No, don't look at your watch. That's not funny. three. Is it three hours? We're at two two thirty eight. All right, which really means about two and a half because we we only really sat down. That's a good talking. intro. So so I'm feeling about ready to start. Yeah. Okay. Let me see what I have on the paper. Oh, I have plenty of stuff. Okay. Um, I wrote down bartending. Mm. Did you ever do any of that? I know that you make cocktails sometimes. Um, I don't. I'm not really into bartending or cocktails. Oh, it's okay. not really. You might have me confused. Yeah. Somebody else. Is this not? Oh, I was. I thought it was G O U. Yeah. Well, you know, I am um, different Jordan. Okay. I designed in 2013. I designed some magical cocktails for the Magic Castle. That was pretty fun. Um, that was for Neil, who was our president at the time. <laughs> Please, continue. No, this is a great story, and I like I th- appreciate you saying no to the joke and then saying yes. Okay. okay. Uh, we did a... Um, we wanted to design cocktails. You just want to be the longest episode. I, I do. I know. <laughs> I do. Okay, go ahead. You designed uh, some cocktails. We designed some cocktails that were... Uh, now, I mean, no one, everyone stopped listening by this point, so we can pretty much say whatever we want. You only just said that because that's what everyone says. Okay. So we can... Uh, as I said, there's going to be a lot of references. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. We can... Because that's... Yeah, I got this far into every single podcast. I really <laughs> listened that intensely. I wanted to create a menu that really reflected in my mind how special and unique the Magic Castle was. And up until that moment, they had had specialty drinks, but they were, you know, a version of a gimlet or a version of a something that you can get at any bar, you know. Yeah. And and the Magic Castle is not only unique to LA, it's unique in the whole entire world. So why not have unique cocktails that are magic themed? Um, and back then, you know, in both the cocktail world and at the Magic Castle, um, there's a drink called the Corpse Survivor Number no. Two. It's yes. a very well-known classic cocktail. It was making the rounds. 
Um, it was like back then as, as famous as a Cosmo was in the 90s or whatever. Yeah. And it was on the castle menu. And I'm looking at it going, why is this on the menu as a special drink? It's not special because it's on tons of menus in town. You can get it at any bar right now. And if you don't know what it is, if you don't know it's a famous cocktail, why would you? The Corpse Reviver, it's like, is this Halloween? What's going on? It wasn't Halloween at the time. It was just a weird choice. Yeah. So uh, we, we set out to kind of create some unique themed drinks that also were um, unique in flavors and effects and things like that. So we came up with a couple cocktails. One of them was the, uh, the rabbit's tail, which was, uh, it had fresh carrot juice in it. So you've got, you know, magic and rabbits and it's sort of a pun because it's rabbit's tail, like, you know, physically the tail and the yeah. story of the, you get it. Yeah. So, and carrots, rabbits eat carrots. And so it was this sort of spiced, it was like a, think of like a, not really a pumpkin spice latte, that's a bad example, but like a pumpkin pie, but instead of pumpkin carrots. It was like this spiced carrot, creamy, delicious drink. Sure. Um, that was super boozy. Yeah. At the time, there were not craft cocktails with carrot as an ingredient. It was such a strange thing to put into it. But... Carrots provide savory elements. They provide sweet elements. So everything combined actually made it sort of a magical experience because, okay, I've there's never, an expectation. There's, there's, an, there's expectations. expectations. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it's it's sort of this beautiful uh, combination of something that's so well themed for the space, but also is completely unique yeah and that i was most proud of that cocktail i think of any of the cocktails i've ever come up with that, that's one of my favorite ones of all time um and there's there's a recipe for that online we'll, we'll send a link there'll be a link in the there'll be a lot i'll have to go back and make sure all the links are there for sure 100 percent, all of the links mentioned will be available to you at uh um so that one was really really fun. Um, we also we actually I did a um, like little commercial. There was Genevieve, which is a liqueur. Yeah, not a liqueur, a liquor. It's like Dutch gin. Um, we did sort of a commercial for them for the this competition, the global competition they did. We actually had a rabbit um, in the Magic Castle in this. Shoot, that was pretty cool. And we have a video of that, and there will be a link for that as well. And um, one of the other drinks was the open sesame, right? Because yeah. the first thing you do to get into the Magic Castle, spoiler alert, you say open sesame. It opens the Magic Bookcase. Again, spoilers. You go through the Magic Bookcase, and you've already had this special, uh, unique experience with those, with that sort of catchphrase, you know, magic yeah. words, that... It, it's now fun to order it on the menu and um, that was sort of a sort of a tropical drink because it had uh, uh, apple liqueur it's like Berenson German apple liqueur made from fresh apples um, with like pineapple juice and Hendrix gin so it had these all these interesting elements and then on top was toasted sesame oil which yeah. sprayed on top so it smelled like Chinese chicken salad 
is like the closest thing I can describe it as. Mm-hmm. It wasn't exactly what we were going for. Like Chinese chicken salad wasn't, hey, let's make it smell like that. But it, it smelled like something familiar and unique and weird. But then it tasted like, you know, um, Hawaii. Yeah. Which is, again, what does that have to do with open sesame? Okay, not I don't know. But the end flavor was sesame it was like you'd eaten a handful of bar nuts or something like that and yeah. so you start with this smell that's familiar but totally weird and then you get this flavor that again is familiar but also totally weird totally and weird. different from the smell and then you end with this savory like odd flavor of this oil that sticks to your palate that then makes you hungry and thirsty at the same time and then you want to drink the drink again so it's this really cool drink that didn't really play in any expectations and you couldn't really place it but it was sort of you're sort of like i got it it's this. a perfect metaphor for the magic asshole and exactly sesame yeah coming into this thing that you don't know what's gonna happen so that was a bunch of fun um and just sort of you know incorporating ideas of what makes magic good i think magic is such a strange you know what do you call it is it an art form right you could we could spend three hours arguing over whether or not it's an art is it a craft okay we can spend three and a i've been referring to it lately as a discipline because that's kind of what it is mm-hmm. you know it and i think discipline has less of a uh argumentative oh, okay yeah standpoint you're not really going to argue whether or not it is a discipline because it, it is i mean yeah you cannot be good at magic and not spend time working on it yeah. there's there's nobody that just is good at it at magic because you have to be good at so many different things yeah. to be good at magic and what does it mean to be good at magic you know there are people who are technically amazing and maybe aren't great performers maybe they're not performers at all maybe they're creators there's so many aspects of being good yeah there's people who are great at magic and they're just performers yeah there are people who just learn tricks and you know they're basically cover artists um of magic so you know at least calling it a discipline is is a way to sort of talk about it without worrying about the the verbiage of yeah you know what exactly are we calling it no that's great um but yeah the the discipline of magic.com uh There'll be a link to that as well. That sounds sexy. Yeah, it really, yeah, it really rolls off the tongue. Uh, but sort of, it, it's difficult to define exactly what is magic and what makes magic good because there's so many different ways of looking at it. Um, for me, it's really about the feeling. It's really about the the experience that you're having. Uh, that you're creating for somebody, and yes. it doesn't matter to me if it that's only one person. Mm-hmm. If I'm creating it, then I'm succeeding. Yeah. Um, the only way to fail is to to do something that doesn't work at all on any level, which I I don't understand how somebody could really do that. Yeah. Unless they haven't been doing it for very long, they haven't been studying anything or anybody. Like if you sit in a room by yourself and you think, oh, I'm great. Well, the and- only way to fail is to not have a goal. Mm. I don't think you need a goal necessarily. I think the way to fail is to to 
not be aware of what's going on. Yeah. You know, you have to, uh, if, if you, magic just, it can't exist in a vacuum. Yeah. And that means that you can't, you absolutely can't do magic by yourself in a room. Yeah. Like we know that that's obvious, right? But you also can't do magic in a, a vacuum of, uh, of create creative vacuum, I guess. And creative doesn't mean creating original magic, but it means that you can't just make something and then put it out and then expect it to, to work. Yeah. Um, maybe it will you know maybe you're creative enough that it it can but i think that if you talk to just about anybody there's a level of trial and error with any of this stuff for sort of honing these abilities even if 99 percent of it's there yeah even if you're let's benefit of the doubt you're some sort of genius that's figured out something that works you put it in front of people it's going to change yeah it's going to change and uh, I guess that's what I mean by magic can't exist in a vacuum. And there are people who are in vacuums, especially nowadays on YouTube, who think that they are performing for real people, but they're not. You know, they're performing for who knows, you know? Yeah. And on the internet, people can comment whatever they want. They can be a hater just for the sake of it. Yeah. They can be the opposite just for the sake of it. There, there's really you can't trust the feedback because yeah. there's any, so many filters. There's so many filters. Yeah. yeah, I mean, the I won't say who, but there's a there's a magician I fooled pretty good last night. Um, he's pretty well known and let pretty, me pause it and uh, and uh, you can you can tell yeah me. you're yeah right okay pause it now okay. we're unpaused and okay so write I'll, I'll write I'll write the name okay. Here we go. This is this is amazing. Teller. So you fool Teller. It's not what I wrote, but uh, I you fooled, fooled Johnny Thompson. I fooled somebody who's pretty well known in the magic world for being a uh, a creator of things, and this wasn't somebody that that flattered me and said, "Hey, that was really great. I really love the performance. Oh my goodness!" It. There, there was zero conversation. This was somebody who I turned to and, and said, you know, hey, I'm going to show you a thing. And I saw in his eyes that he was fooled and fooled real good. And no, no, it was with a coin trick, actually. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You just uh, you mimicked one of the one of the tricks I do a lot. That fool fools me every time. Okay. Um, but no, this was this was with a, a coin trick that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, Actually, is it available for sale? On one of one of the parts of it is available for sale on artofmagic.com. We'll include a link for that. Um, and <laughs> that tells me a lot about this magician and how good a frenzy is with us. Anyway, yeah. Well, there you go. So well, I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> I could see as soon as I was not even done with the trick in the middle of performing it, I could tell this he doesn't know where the coin is, and that's awesome. And he didn't have to tell me. I could just see it in his face because I know what it looks like when somebody gets fooled, and it's this sort of like uh, they have to recalibrate. Yeah, you can see their brain sort of freezing up and crashing and, and rebooting. Yeah, and it's amazing. Um, 
I live for that. My brain goes into self-defense mode, and it becomes very loud and slaps things and goes, No! Actually, one of the the things that I'm so excited we're getting to now, uh, 14 hours into the podcast, um, because it's actually one of the most important things that I think I've learned, is the ability to be comfortable in silence. Okay. I'm writing that down. Continue with your story about okay. performing so, for in, uh, uh, Amazing John. In co- oh, I fooled Amazing Jonathan a bunch of times. I love that. I love fooling Amazing Jonathan. Um, I fooled him pretty good last night. Anyway, go ahead. You did. You did fool him. In performing uh, for real people, I I you kind of I love fooling people. You know, yeah. some people. Amazing Jonathan, here's a good example. Like, he, you know, yeah, he, he likes good magic, but the stuff he does, it's it, it's all for the laughs. You know, yeah. he really wants people to laugh and have a good time. And yeah, that's yeah. a great, you know, that's a great goal to have. Um, I love fooling people. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I, I value that. I value really strong, amazing magic over laughter. Yeah. Know? And I, I love, you know, I, Ultimately, this should be fun. You know, magic should be fun. People should have a good time. They shouldn't feel like, oh my god, this is scary and spooky, and I, I'm upset. You know, yeah. but I love fooling people, and because of that, and because of the material that I choose, and because of the way that I present it, sometimes, often more than not, I'm not met with applause or laughter. I'm met with t- total and utter silence. Yeah, and for the longest time. That bothered me. It bothered me. Oh my God, it bothered me. totally, completely understand. Because here it is, I perform something and just nothing. We have similar performing styles. Yeah. And that's what happens when you do really good magic. The the response to sort of, you know, good magic is, oh yeah, yeah, that was nice, okay, it was great, we're gonna clap, this was fun. And the response to really like balls dropping, amazing, holy shit magic is processing. Yeah. Processing sounds like silence. Yeah. You know, if something really amazing or really tragic or just really shocking happens, it it there's silence. And it took me so long to accept that that was not only an okay reaction, but a natural and a um, expected and a good reaction. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't give you the feedback yeah. immediately that laughter does of, hey, this is great. Um, and usually you get silence. If you do something really great, you get silence. And then later people come up and tell you how much they enjoy the performance, which for the longest time was, was like felt backwards. Yeah, like, it didn't feel, yeah, right. Where were you? Five minutes ago, you know, yeah. to me, you weren't enjoying my performance, but to them, it's like, oh, no, I was really, really enjoying that, you yeah. know? Um, and I think that there's so little information out there that talks or really addresses that issue of silence being a natural reaction to good magic, that when it happens, we try and fill the silence with 
something else. So we don't give it the space to breathe. We fill it with hacky jokes because you know the easiest thing is, uh, well, I'm going to fill it with something. Yeah, and this first, is where they usually applaud. The first thing that comes to mind is some Protect joke that I've myself. heard. You know, yeah. and uh, oh hey, uh, um, you know, the, the, I'm going to do this trick to absolute silence. Yeah, or just addressing that the people aren't applauding. And I've seen really good performers, like top guys, who have amazing shows. And there are bits in the show where they're asking for applause or at least addressing the fact that people aren't applauding. I'm like, hey, you don't have to do that. I, I get how it feels to be on stage and have a void yeah. where nobody's reacting. Yeah. But they are reacting. Yeah. They're reacting internally. Yeah, and that's what's different than like another similar. I always go back to stand up comedy, but it's. Well, stand up comedy and magic have a lot in common structurally. So much. It's but insane. there is that approach in magic and uh, in comedy, which is get the laugh every seven seconds, every five seconds. Let's see how many laughs we can get with as many lines. Mm-hmm. And so people take that and they go, joke. Laughter, cause effect. So now I have to do trick, get similar response, and they're not taking into account that silence is a response. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And um, you know, it's it's something I've talked with with uh, with a few magicians. Um, being at the castle is yep. is kind of amazing. Being in LA because. You go from having a couple of local guys to when I was in San Francisco, which has a pretty big magic scene, you know. Yeah, community. it's a great, great group of people. But it's so spread out, and really, the magicians only get together at lectures, or if you happen to be in the magic shop, um, that's misdirections.com. Everybody, if, uh, there'll, there'll, there'll be a link. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but at the castle, the, what if every link has slash Jordan Gold? Oh, it's it's just one link for everything. Just all goes to yeah, trollingmagic.com. Just okay. check it out. Yeah. Um, <laughs> who owns that website? I don't know. Um, what? As of when this is released, you better. What you're talking about? So, in LA, there's so many magicians. Yeah. Just in my in my immediate circle of hey, who do I normally talk to? Um, and then at the castle, you run into all sorts of people, and you yeah. might run into people from japan and famous magicians and not famous like the the access to magicians out here is insane so i talk with a lot of people a lot of magicians about these sort of things and and one of the 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 big things is yeah silence is totally cool and acceptable but it's not fun and it kind of sucks you know sitting in silence and being okay with it and just kind of getting over that and and I I guess the way that I fill the void is I just think in my head like this is great this is really good that's why they're quiet it's really really good yeah you can't obviously you can't be delusional but when you get to a certain point where you know what you're doing is powerful well yeah silence isn't always good (laughs) oh it turns out that you know everyone's silent because it's terrible that's why yeah it's just they're not having fun well and you know context is a thing too so and there's also there's also people like if you're performing for an audience you know people are going to process things differently yeah so, well if you're in the magic castle close-up gallery 
if you do anything that's remotely good, people will clap. Yeah. Because they're, you know, they've been introduced by a manager. They've already clapped for you. They clap when you come out. They have clapped for you four or five times before you've even begun the show. Yeah. And so they're just accustomed to clapping. But in a, like in a black box theater, people might not clap because, you know, there's sort of like, where, where do we clap? At the end of a musical number, people always clap because the ah, it's over yeah that's yeah. where we clap and you kind of think about reactions in the same way that you do the rest of the the structure of any trick that you're doing it it is a huge part of it and i think that it's it's a part that we don't focus on as much we kind of try and fill it with just anything and you know magic is measured so much by reactions you know just look through your recent emails of any of the ma- you know the new magic products and it just talks about the reactions that this will get um, but I think reactions shouldn't be judged purely on volume they they can be judged on actually experiencing something and for me when you know when Dean showed me stuff I didn't never clapped I never yeah. said oh wow Dean that was great I would just was like my mouth was open and my eyes were big and I'm looking around like what's going on here you know I was looking at other people trying to make eye contact and there there are certain things you can see you know if, if somebody looks like they're not enjoying the show yeah it's obvious but if they're staring and they look confused and upset you know in, in like a uh, I think I'm I'm hallucinating sort of way yeah then you well, know yeah. something's something's working you yeah. know you're doing something right and so yeah go ahead well if you want to get like laughs and clapter and certain clapter is that a word yeah clapter should clapter. be a word clapter yeah. um it's like clap clapter uh you you can build that in of course you know but it's okay sometimes to really let something sink in yeah yeah well so let's get back to you uh fooling steve forty what right what yeah was the end so, of so um, he didn't I know what the coin with, was uh, fool them with my double lift trick you know it's just a series of 14 doubles um he, he was really fooled by that you know he wasn't expecting us having two cards as one so really so lance burton didn't know where the coin was what, what no lance burton was completely fooled yeah yeah you know just the dove to mouth trick he was really blown away by that are so. you just done with that story that we were doing earlier <laughs> Oh, so yeah, yeah. I mean, that, that's somebody who the the person I fooled doesn't give feedback in the positive to many people. He's kind of known as being a uh, a very um, standoff, maybe just difficult person to impress. That's sure, that's way. a great way. That's right? a much better. Difficult way. to impress, and um, I did not get any confirmation of being impressed or of. Um, you know, gratitude necessarily, but I saw him being genuinely fooled. like being fooled because in the action of making the coin vanish, I saw the eyes go from following the coin the way that he should follow it to following what his magician brain was telling him was actually happening, and then going back, and then I, I could just see. The processing going. I actually don't know where the coin is, and uh, uh, I think I've I think I've lost track of this coin. 
Um, and then when it came back, it was actually the best part because it's like, oh, it, it was there the whole time and I didn't see where it was. And that was very upsetting. And that, that's great for a magician who's seen a lot of things. Yeah. But, and he's seen a lot of things. And he's seen a lot of things, yeah. But it isn't necessarily the best thing for an audience that has never seen a coin vanish. Yeah. And for I think the, the if, if there's anything that I think that I do well, and I'm pretty hard on myself about a lot of this stuff, it, it's that knowing the difference between doing magic for magicians, doing magic for real people, and everything in between. And that it's okay to do crazy man's handcuffs and ambitious card and tricks that, you know, we kind of look down upon as being these, uh, you know, mainstream things that are out there. If if the audience and the context is right, you know, for the right audience, those are miracles. Yeah. But some of the other really advanced coin stuff, it's like, uh, I don't really understand why your hands are moving so much you know yeah. and then for magicians being able to do things that are enough off the beaten path of technique that they it, it is genuinely surprising and fooling and for magicians it's more about doing stuff that is, is different than what they're used to yeah. rather than coming up with a really fooling method because you know there's so many tricks out there where the effect isn't new it just here's a new method for making a build change but the build yeah. change itself looks exactly the same yeah or the coin vanish looks exactly the same it's just a different method it's like who cares about the method you know yeah. the method is is not what you're going for um that being said i you know like anybody else i love a cool method yeah um but there's there's certain things where i think uh, there's some tricks that I do where it's only about the method and it's an exposed method for the sake of look how crazy this method is. Yeah. And for the right audiences, that works great. Yeah. But it, it's being able to be flexible within that and have different repertoire for different environments. Yeah. And being okay with that. Um, so, you know, that. One of the rare things that I love is when there's a, 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 a truly gifted performer that does things that really hardcore fools everybody, like your mentor, Frank. Yeah, Frank is pretty amazing. Um, this is Frank Olivier, by the way, if you didn't know, funnyfrank.com. We'll, uh, we'll include a link to that as well. But uh, every trick Frank, that he did for me that didn't involve a pharaoh shuffle, Frank is fooled me so hard. Frank is a guy that he, he's a world champion juggler. I mean, he's won international competitions as a juggler. He's one of the most entertaining and technically proficient jugglers that I've ever met. And on top of being able to do, and he he does really crazy juggling stuff. Like he juggles children. Like he legitimately has juggled children in many uh, circumstances. And on top of all of that, he you know, he has a lot of vaudeville skills as well, like knife throwing and unicycling. Yeah, tons of stuff. It's insane. He's also one of the best magicians I've ever seen perform. Um, I think for what he did for you, he gave you the deck and he said the name of card 
you did. You freely named a card, and he asked you to put the deck up to your head. And he told you that the card that you had named was inside your head yeah. and moving through your body, and then it was going to actually come out underneath your foot. And yeah. You, and it was legitimately under your foot, the freely named card. And, and diarrhea shot down The my look on your face was priceless. It was great. And it wasn't luck. It wasn't like this one-off, no. hey, maybe we're going to, I'll put a duplicate down and you'll maybe look, get lucky. This is a trick he does for everybody in Orson 100% of the time. And it's based on, a, there's a bunch of techniques going on. Yeah. But it's good. It's, it's super good. The first and time then, I saw it, I was like, there's no way this is really going to work. Yeah. And it does. It works all the time. And I, I started doing that trick, actually. And then his follow-up to it is... So good because it's a completely wholly different method, but it it follows up immediately afterwards perfectly. So basically, he has two cards named. Freely he gives named. somebody freely named. He gives somebody the deck to stand on. So then the cards move up through the foot, through the body, and out through the fingertips, and they end up in another place that is totally an impossible location. They end up stuck to his nipples. They end up stuck to his nipples under his Two shirt. freely named cards to his nipples. He could do it with signed cards, but he does it with two freely named cards. And, but by the way, it you know he's in like a suit at this point. It's not like there's a t-shirt. Yeah. He, ha- he unbuttons his jacket, and then he unbuttons his vest, and then he unbuttons his shirt, and slowly pulls back the shirt revealing two cards stuck to the nipples and they are legitimately there they are peeled off by the audience yeah sometimes by their teeth sometimes often by their teeth and they are actually there yeah. and it, it again it's 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 cooking a perfect egg it is when you know how it's done it's pretty you know simple is not a, not the right word but it's remarkably straightforward yeah what he's getting away with but he's able to combine all these things and fool the shit out of everybody. Yeah. And it's great. It's really good. And there's something that, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, not getting ripped off by other magicians, come up with a trick like that. You know, I can't imagine anybody else doing chosen cards to nipples. Yeah. I'm, I'm not about to do it. You know, yeah. I don't think you're about to do it. No. Even though I want to so bad, it just doesn't. It's not right. I think even the most avid, you know, uh, magic copier out there is not going to do cards to nipples. Yeah. Even if they can figure out how it's done. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, so so do that. Do cards to nipples, and no one will steal your, your cards trick. to nipples dot com. Cards to nipples dot com. We'll uh, we'll put a link up. You think we should start the podcast? You know, I think we should start the podcast. Um, although Frank should put Cards and Nipples out with Art of Magic. Yeah. I agree. And then everyone can learn it. Yeah. I agree. It's a great trick. He should also uh, teach people how to juggle. There's also, he did um, Chosen Card on the road, driving back from L.A. to San Francisco on the I-5. He had random drivers roll down their windows going 80 miles an hour and had them yell out the name of a card and he found their card instantly while driving with his knees 
Um, this is available if you Google Frank Olivier, spelled Oliver, O-L-I-V-E-R, Frank Olivier, Road Magic, you'll find these videos. Um, we'll put a link also in the description of the podcast. Yep. Um, Which is not yet started. But there's, yeah, we're, once we start the podcast, we'll put in the links for all these things. Um, have you been writing down all the links? Yeah, yeah, I have a, have a list here somewhere. Um, okay. Pretty sure it's it's here. Yeah. Right next to the name that you wrote down, which was, uh, let me see what it says on the pad. It says, um, I can't, I, I can't come up with it. David Copperfield. You fooled David Copperfield. I did. Time. I did. I fooled him. I fooled him good. Speaking of which, I have never... I asked you once how that trick worked. Mm-hmm. That you fooled me with every time. I haven't asked you again since. Mm-hmm. What did I say? You said, I'm not going to tell you. And I said, okay. Well, there you go. I think after this podcast, we've learned that that's a good thing. That is a good thing. I think that's the point of it. Um, 314... You are officially the longest episode. Sweet, I love it. By like twenty minutes. Well, we once we start, then that will be taken back. Yeah, that's true. So you have officially the longest intro by three hours and twelve minutes. <laughs> that's awesome. We should have the the podcast should only be twenty minutes, both a three hour intro. That's that's funny. Dang. You can come back tomorrow and we'll do twenty minutes. Okay. And then uh, we'll, we'll attack that. You're going to need more sake because I think we've pretty much we emptied this bottle. bottle. This is surprisingly good for uh, us having both had drinks before we started and then, you know, nearly finishing a bottle of sake. Right. And we're probably going to have drinks after this. Going to go down to one of the. I have bars. to eat something. Um, so. We could eat some sake. Mmm. I have to be up early. Some popcorn with buttery Chardonnay. Something. Where are we going after this? Uh, there is a... Speaking of sake, there's a uh, bar called Dirty... Sake it to me, baby! Sake. There's a uh, bar called Dirty Laundry, which is uh, just down the street. Doesn't sound like my kind of scene. It is... I don't know why they named it that at all, but it is a pretty cool bar. So, um, you should go check it out. Okay. And... Uh, you know, I've got some friends down there, so maybe they'll give us free drinks. All right. Should be good. Yeah. Um, I'll leave you with this. Do magic for bartenders, and you will uh, never have to pay for another drink again. If the bartender doesn't give you free drinks, find an alpha male in the bar and then do magic for his female companion friends, and then he will buy you drinks. Um, it's just how that works. Um... Be non-threatening. Don't hit on the girls, but do magic around alpha male type guys, and they will buy you drinks. Is this a free podcast? Is it a free podcast? Yeah, because you just made people like thousands of dollars. Oh yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. It's how I got free drinks all throughout college. You see, because if you are doing magic, right, around these guys that are clearly they have surrounding to, they themselves have to make up with people. They can't tell you, hey, get out of here. Yeah. Because that makes them look bad because you're this guy that everyone likes. So they buy you a drink. And now all of a sudden they are like, hey, 
let me buy you something and I'm the cool guy. And you're yeah. like, oh, hey, cool. And then at that point, once you get the drink, stop doing magic, take your drink, you know, and be like, hey, thanks. Hey, thanks so much. It's great. And then leave. He'll be happy because he'll get rid of you and he'll get a free drink. Yeah. Um, this reminds me of I saw Babel in the close up room do the late show. And I was sitting in the room. I, I love that just talking about alpha males and free drinks reminds you of Babel, but go on. It doesn't remind me of Babel, it reminds me of Babel's show and this okay. experience. Oh, okay. We're sitting in the room and the lovely. What's. Uh, I can't think of the politically correct term for waitress. Cocktail server? Cocktail server. The lovely cocktail server comes into the room and she's like, does anybody want anything? And the guy sitting in the front row is like, I'm buying shots for everybody! And he bought the whole room shots of tequila. Wow. There you go. Yeah. He, he must have been very threatened he by was, the magic. He person. was the guy, you know? Yeah. But uh, and I I totally alphaed him afterwards. If you <laughs> does that even mean it means uh, he wouldn't shut up throughout Babel's set because you know Babel's not really speaking. He's a French magician. Mm-hmm. He would not stop talking. And after the after the set, I stood outside the door waiting for him. And he came out, and I I grabbed him by the shoulder and I shook his hand. And I was like, Hey man, thanks for the drinks. And I pulled him in real close and I whispered into his ear. Don't ever fucking open your mouth in a show ever again. And I released him and I was like, thanks again, man. Take care. Have a good night. Wow. And he was like, uh, uh, and he just kind of like quietly walked away, hunched over. <laughs> awesome. All right. Well, that works. Um, make sure if you do that, it's after you get the drinks, if you want the free drinks. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Don't do that at the bar. Not before. Not the free yeah. drinks. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but be courteous during someone else's show. Yeah, that's always a good, um, that's a good piece of advice. Yeah, yeah. Don't put the cards away. Yeah, and it's tough. It's tough to let other people have attention. Don't perform in the line outside of the show. That is the other thing. You know, it's not something that's talked about a lot, but and it seems like okay. Obviously, if you go to another magician's show, or even if let's say you're not in the show. It's okay to let other people have the spotlight sometimes. It's tough as magicians because we want to be the center of attention, especially for anybody that's not in Los Angeles that happens to be listening to this. You know, we're around a lot of magicians here, so we've developed etiquette to be around magicians. But it's okay, even if it's not a magician, if maybe it's a guy at a bar and he has a deck of cards, it's okay to just let that guy. Yeah. Do a card trick. And Nerd not, out in private. And not show up and be like, hey, well, you know, I noticed that my technique is better than yours, so I'm going to show you something too. Yeah. And I'm all too familiar with the temptation to do that. You know, or you see a street performer, you know, you're traveling, you see somebody, say, hey, I noticed you have a table and magic set up. And uh, yeah, let me let me see your your cards. Let me do something. It's It's like, it's okay to let other people be the star yeah. of their show um, and that's not something that I think is talked about very much yeah. in magic it's talked about in you know books like the uh, Dale Carnegie book Yeah, but uh, it's also okay if, if maybe there's somebody you don't think extremely highly of you know maybe they're a TV personality or maybe they're a local person 
if somebody says, hey, you know, I know this magician, so-and-so, and so even if you think that they're the worst magician ever, it's okay to just be like, oh, yeah, yeah, that's that's cool that you enjoyed them. You don't have to say, oh, I think they're great, but if somebody... You don't have to shit on them. You don't have to shit on them. If somebody's saying, hey, I really enjoyed this person's performance, it's okay to go, oh, that's cool. I'm really glad you, you got to see them perform and, you know, and maybe ask them what is it they liked about it, you know, and, and get some information and try and use that to benefit your own personal experience uh, but you don't have to shit on everyone else uh, just because and you shouldn't should shit on should everyone never else. I mean it depends who it is it's fucking Magic Carl that guy sucks I'm, I'm gonna get emails I, I, from Magic Carl <laughs> I don't know I just made up Magic Carl if there's anybody out there named Magic Carl um, that I don't this was totally a coincidence <laughs> uh He's going to get so many hits on his website. But Magic though. Ethan, seriously, sucks. That guy's the worst. Yeah. Like, uh, have you seen his... Uh, I agree. MagicEthan.com. Awful. I'm going to get in trouble. Here's some more. Oh, no. We're still drinking. Dave's going to wonder what happened to all his sake. Yeah. I'm just going to put the empty bottle back in the refrigerator. <laughs> just fill it with, like, vinegar. Must have gone bad. I don't know. I don't know. Man. Must be it. How old is the sake? We're at 322. It's perfect. So we're almost to four hours. Um, I think we're ready to start the show. <laughs> I don't know how many times I can keep doing that joke. Um, I do. Is there anything you want to plug? Do you want to plug like the little collective of gigging magicians that you're doing? Or do you want to plug Vanda? Of, of what magicians? Like your, what is it? Your, your black elite... Oh, uh, what is that? Go to artofmagic.com. Oh, yeah, go ahead. Slash Jordan Gold. Is that my link? Just Google Jordan Gold, Art of Magic. Buy my stuff. It's really good. Um, you don't have to get all of it. I understand. But get Pirate. Um, Pirate Coin Trick is my proudest thing ever. It's fooled the crap out of so many people, magicians and non magicians alike. Um, it's I don't really know I mean it's called pirate because I wanted it to be ungoogleable if you google if, if I'm talking about pirate coin vanish and you google pirate coin vanish you're gonna get no. stories about pirate uh, treasure disappearing you're not gonna get yeah I didn't want something like uh, what's a good example coins across is a term you google that and you get a million versions of it Pirate is not something that you can really Google and find unless you know it exactly what you're looking for. But it is a really good vanish, and I'm really proud of it. And all the other stuff is pretty good, but that's that's the one you really should go check out. Um, and uh, I think it will fool you, because uh, it's good. It is really, really good. It is really, really good. I also remembered that I was going to tell the bottled water story. Which is you introduced me to the best, the finest, sparkling water. Fit for a queen. Fit for a queen. Mm-hmm. So the queen specifically. The which one? Of England. Of, of England. Queen Victoria the second. The one, whichever one is actively the queen. The reigning monarch currently. I think I think it's the active queen, right? Not the last. Yeah. Yeah. Of England. I said Victoria. I'm such a dunce. It's Elizabeth. Yeah, that's the one. Elizabeth II. Um, you were, I mean, 50-50, right? Victoria, Elizabeth. Yeah. Whatever. 
So, the best water in the world. Yeah, so what did we do that day? We went, so we, we decided to go get manicures. Man. And we say manicures. Emphasis on man. It's manicures. capital M, capital A, capital N, it cures. So we go to this place on Melrose called Hammer and Nail. Yeah, it was on Shark Tank, and it's like uh, manicures for men. Men, manic, manicures. Manicures. there. And we walk inside, and we see the people inside, and we... Uh, Jordan and I stick out like a sore thumb, and we decide to go to a regular um, manicure place, which is lowercase m, <laughs> lowercase a, lowercase n place. Yeah, we were uh, not, uh, we didn't really fit into hammer nails. Yeah, it wasn't really our scene. Anyway, right across from hammer and nail on Melrose is uh, like a liquor store. Mel and Rose. Mel and Rose. High-end wine and liquor shop. Do you want to just take the story from here? Because we walked in and you were like, this place has amazing bottled water. And I was like, okay. No, I'm sorry, sparkling water. And I was they like, what's my the difference? Favorite, my favorite bottle of water. Yeah. Just take it from there. The, the shop is really cool and you should definitely go in there. Mel and Rose on. No, I'm loving Melrose. your rendition. I'm just adding. Just adding to it. So. Well, okay, so we walk in and you know there's shelves upon shelves, and it's like a little. It's not a big place. There's two. There's two ends of it, right? Mm-hmm. You walk in. On the left is like the fine wines and and expensive, very expensive rare spirits, and then on the right is like everything else. But it's all. It's a really great selection. So you go in. It's like a regular liquor store, but with a good selection, and there are refrigerated. Um, what are the sections? Section, yeah. There's a refrigerated beverages. Section. There are many, all sorts of beverages. All they have all the beverages. Every beverage ever. And uh, Jordan's girlfriend Meredith is like, oh, they've got this, this water. And Jordan begins to tell me about this amazing sparkling water and the differences between sparkling water is like the consistency of the actual water, the minerals within it, and how large or small the bubbles are like the consistency of of the actual liquid once it's poured and jordan refers to this water as the champagne of water yes yes pretty much accurate and it was uh incredibly crisp and delicious tiny bubbles tiny tiny bubbles tell yeah tell me about that because it was amazing that's pretty much it you described it uh yeah it's it's hilden um sparkling they also make still um personally when it comes to still water it's really difficult for me and i have a pretty discerning palate um from years of tasting lots of things and um tasting with not not just putting things in my mouth but like actively thinking about what is it that i'm tasting you know yeah Uh, i'm trying to train my ability to taste certain things yeah Still water is just really difficult to pick up on the differences in, unless it's really alkaline or really acidic. Um, well, there's, hopefully your water is not acidic or really um, um, has high minerality. Maybe it's very salty, you know, but unless it's really intense on, anywhere on that spectrum, a lot of water is going to taste similar or it's going to taste different depending on what you've eaten that day mm-hmm. or what's, you know, the condition of your a lot of factors so uh when it comes to sparkling water there's different psi levels uh 
the different size and bubbles. The bubbles carry a lot of the minerals to your palate, so you can actually taste a much broader difference between sparkling waters. Uh, I mean, if I give you 10 waters that were still and 10 waters that were sparkling, you might not be able to tell the difference at all between the stills, but the sparkling for sure, you'd be able to pick out a favorite um, or a couple favorites. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, Hilden, Hilden Sparkling Water is, you know, working behind a bar that had 20 different waters that I tried all the time. I found myself preferring, preferring, preferring going towards this one specific brand and drinking it more and more and more. And it was just like the most unique, amazing, tasty water. And everyone I've turned on to it is, uh, is kind of blown away by how different and unique it is. So uh, I recommend it. Check it out. Um, Hilden, the, we'll, we'll just, uh, you don't need to remember that we write that down. We'll, we'll put a link <laughs> in, the, uh, in the description of the podcast for you. Okay, I think we should end before you give me any more links. I thought we were about to start. No, that's tomorrow. This is, oh, right. we're this ending is the, the intro. This is the intro. Yeah. Intro, do we, do we have like a song for this or? Yeah, there's a, there's a three minute clip that I'm going to have to extend to be three and a half hours. Perfect. Yeah. I love it. Um, but so to, to end the intro, we always say, follow us on all the social media accounts, Instagram, Facebook, sign up for the newsletter, send me an email, podcast.artofmagic.com, so on and so forth. And uh, enjoy the episode. Yeah, all of it. <laughs> Thanks so much, Jordan. I appreciate it. Thank you for this having me. This is super fun. It's been awesome. All Let's right. do it again tomorrow. Okay, we'll do it again tomorrow. <laughs>